0: Morning Project presents.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, season pass holders of the Generic Video Game Podcast, it's that time again. We're only seven months removed and back sooner than later as promised. That's sarcasm, if you couldn't tell. But we're about ready to kick off DLC Pack number 2 with a very special guest. But before we get to that, it is myself, Anthony, joined by my illustrious broadcast colleague known from LA to Osaka and the world over Shidoshi I
2: was, I was going to make a now putting the broad in broadcast joke but I don't know and, and Anthony's like quiet
1: well well, that's about my third intro uh, with a little bit of a fumble but uh, with that being said we're joined am by I a v- today? <laughs> am I, no, the, I, I the
2: special guest today am I not only the host for the special guest I mean, I am special, and I should be a guest. So.
1: I'm, I'm sweating right now. I'm sweating profusely here in my studio apartment. And uh, we're joined by a legacy podcaster this evening on GVGP. None other than Mr. Neil Bauer, founder and president of Bauer Graphics.
0: It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for the invite to both of you, both Anthony and I'm going to call you because I thought you were the special guest too. I'm going to call you Sybil Doshi because you have two personality. Does that work? Is, it, is that like a moonlighting joke? That is. Oh my gosh. Sybil Shepherd. Uh, I was saying Sybil as in the do split you know, personality.
2: Do, do you know like, how, okay, do you know how screwed up my childhood was? Um completely running over Anthony's plans this is this is like back to be on on your old podcast when I got to come in and just like ruin your plans um <laughs> when, when, I, when I was a kid with the other kids in my neighborhood we actually played moonlighting oh. like that like like what kids play moonlighting you know like you always play like you know Buck, <laughs> oh my god I'm so old Buck Rogers like Buck Rogers or Star Wars or He-Man you know like you when you're playing pretend you always do those kind of things mm-hmm. Like, one day we didn't like moonlighting.
0: Like, that's what kid does Well, that? I'm know. sure, like, with my interest in gaming and seeing how bifurcated it gets, there were probably pe- people playing Magnum PI. Those are the cool kids. And then there were people that even were more obscure than you playing Murder She Wrote or
3: something. Like I can <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just like a little, like, eight-year-old with, like, the, the, the curly white
2: wig.
3: And-
0: <laughs> I believe it was. I'm going to say a clue joke. I believe it was "Colonel Mustard" and, you yeah, whatever. I don't I didn't watch murder she wrote, but I do know it was something about a <laughs> yeah, tea yeah, I think that's a clue. Poor Anthony. Sorry,
2: I'm
1: but sorry. Wait, wait. No, I I'm fine. I, I need to quit being influenced by Shodoshi because uh, I had a I'm drinking a cherry coke zero and I got to tell you for uh when doing audio recordings or using one's voice, uh one should stick to bottled water and not parching Coke Zero
2: I can't I can't do the fake cherry like I, I when I do rum and cokes like I really I like to put a little bit of cherry juice in there um, but yeah like the, the what is that funny why are you it's, laughing at that like <laughs> like I, I act like it's some sort of bourgeois drink I'm drinking here but no it's like so I don't like the, like the fake kind of cherry flavor
1: It's it's nasty
2: it's kinda of like banana, right? There's like real it's, banana uh, and like fake banana. Fake yeah, banana is so
1: weird. I, I love banana and I would agree fake fake banana or dried banana or whatever it is, is is also nasty.
0: Okay, Neil, favorite flavor of flavor ice. Go. Oh god, I'm a tropical guy, so I like coconut and banana. But um Wait, they have coconut, banana chocolate. Trop- well, you're talking flavor ice? ice? Like you're talking about uh like a like, ice? Like, what do they call it? Well, no, no, no. What do they call it? In your, where you from? like Otter Pops? Oh, for gosh sakes. Otter Pops. Oh, my gosh. I used to get Little Orphan Orange was one of my favorites as a kid. But I, no, Grape and Little Orphan Orange were my favorite. I can't even remember what Grape was. Uh, the fact that I remember Little Orphan Orange, that was like the most – like you'd think it was Orphan Annie, but the picture on the Otter Pop, she was so maudlin and depressed. I said, what are they doing to kids? Here's sugar. Look at Sylvia Plath over here. She's completely. She's gonna kill herself. Uh, but I'd say if I were gonna get it now, I'd probably oh get Cherry grip. Yes, his little orphan oranges. <laughs> she yeah, looks so like she looks like she's seen stuff.
3: You yeah, know? exactly.
0: <laughs> like I've seen things you don't want to know. It's awful. Holding her teddy bear. Like why did mommy have to go? Why is okay, there? A, why is there a mound in the basement? Why yes. are we running out in the middle of the night? <laughs> Are those
2: police hey, be, be, before Anthony beats us, let, let's let him continue his introduction.
1: No, so that's fine. I I, I wasn't pleased with my uh, my introduction, uh, nonetheless. Um, it is it is time for DLC pack number two here at the generic video game podcast. We Want to welcome listeners back? Uh, normally, I say we're about thirty days removed from our from our previous recording. Uh, this time, it's only been a couple weeks, but we are about a half year removed from our first. DLC pack. Uh, Furthermore, uh, on a very special aside, I've alluded to this in the past, and I always say we're coming up on it, and we're just about there, but this week pretty much does officially mark the one-year anniversary of the Generic Video Game Podcast on the Morning Project network of shows. Uh, So with that being said, special guest, some if not many of you will be familiar with Neil from the... Double Plus Good Games podcast, the Game Crazy podcast way back when. Uh, This evening, it's going to pretty much be all about uh, not only a fun show, but going over a bit of his career and some new exciting endeavors that we'll touch upon that are very relevant, uh, modern, uh, up-to-date, up-to-speed. So um, thank you for hitting the download button as I ramble on here alongside Shidoshi and Neil. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So, uh, wh- what have you been up to? Uh, let's put it that way. I know you're still involved in the realm of gaming as well as graphics. But uh, what's new and exciting on your plate these days?
0: Oh, to be honest, the big thing that has changed is that I, about uh, what six months ago, we started publishing games in China and in Japan. And what? I, what? Yeah, so uh, an old friend of mine who, from back in the Acclaim days, good grief, he left Acclaim as that was uh, fireballing into oblivion and went on to Tecmo, where he was an executive for the U.S. in Tecmo, so high up individual here in the U.S. He and his partner wound up working together for, for years, and when he left Tecmo, he Uh, Well, he went to 505 Games for a short stint. But for the most part, his partner went to China. He stayed here in the U.S. doing some things around games. Well, they've come back together. The individual who went to China has a portal for games, put together a portal, got it approved by the government. And he's like, all right, we've got this opening. Let's get games onto this platform. We have the portal. It's a no-brainer option. We just need titles. So my point of contact, reached out to me and said, hey, would you like with your podcast, do you talk to Indies? And I say all the time, (laughs) he's like, how would you like to come on board and help us get Indies onto the platform? And that's what I've been doing since last, well, I think uh, last August. So working with Indies, trying to get people on board. So going to different shows, meeting with different companies, meeting with different people. And it's been fantastic because it's such an easy option. It's not even a sale it's saying hey do you have games that sold out on steam or basically aren't selling anymore you know do you have games that are on psn do you have game and uh they're like yes and i'm like you would just want to put them on another platform so they can sell to another billion people uh if not that's fine but if you have the property it's just sitting there you might as well just port it over there and w- all we do is take a percentage of sales so if it doesn't sell, we don't take anything. If it sells, we take a smaller percentage, and they still get paid on something. So it's a win-win for everybody. And that is called NDX. There you go.
1: Now, are you allowed to specify any particular games or ones that fans may know? We are you able to acknowledge can, anything?
0: We have a huge deal going through right now, which I will tell you both offline. Because we don't really have an NDA, but I really don't want to get it out there because it's still an open property. Uh, we've been meeting with a lot of companies from Idea Factory, which, of course, I Ooh. think I've shared with both. But uh, this one is a pretty sizable, it's 50 titles that are rolling out. But they are 50 titles that I think would be very surprising uh, to you. And we'll, we should have that done. I would think we would have that done shortly. That I would hope to have it done before E3. But we've worked with companies such as Devolver. We're in talks with a couple other mm-hmm. companies out there. Uh, to get titles published. Uh, And they're larger companies. They're not just, as I said, not just one-off indies, even though we are working with them. Uh, The idea is to kind of open... This platform's open to everybody. So we've reached out to the IGDA saying, hey, send your guys over. We've reached out to large companies. We've reached out to, just as I said, about anybody who wants their games published in another market. And what's crazy is that it's so hard for Japanese companies to get their games into China that oh, really, yeah, they're having challenges with that. With same, with, there's really not a portal for it, so we're actually dealing. Uh, our gentleman who's in China is dealing with Japanese companies to port games over onto into China. So, a U.S. company technically is helping Japanese games get published in China.
1: Now, are, are a lot of the games going over to China on uh PC? I'm assuming, uh, PC,
0: mobile, mm. and uh. That's for that's it for right now.
1: Now I know I know you've dropped some names with me in the past and private of some uh, obviously real Japanese titles. Uh, some which have been discussed on this network in the past on other shows. Uh, are you at uh, liberty to discuss any of those or name drop any of those? Obviously, you you already mentioned uh, Idea Factory,
0: right? And we've been in conversations. The, the thing is, we're right at a point where. The platform is growing. We've got over 200 titles on it. The thing is just about to crest uh, a very significant milestone where we're bringing on a couple companies and a couple titles that are very recognizable. And once we hit that, I think there's a couple floodgates that should open. We've been targeting larger uh, individuals, larger companies, because I think that indies get kind of afraid of companies coming and saying, hey, I don't... Sh- Shidoshi, have you worked with indies very much? A little bit, yeah. A lot of them have the same mentality that the programmers had at the early stages of gaming. And um, and a lot of them have learned from them. So they're kind of like the hippies of the 60s where they're like, don't trust anybody over 30. Don't trust somebody right. wearing a suit. <laughs> <laughs> so when we come in and say, hey, we're going to publish your games, they're like, no. That's the thing. It just...
2: Yeah, there's also been some problems with some of the other platforms um, that were kind of doing similar things where, you know, either with payments or wasn't there wasn't there an issue with one of them where it was kind of like there was a battle over rights and stuff like that, you know, so there's been or like publishing in places they weren't allowed to. So there has been a few things have happened that I think have made some of the indie devs a little skittish.
0: Which is, yeah, that has been what's holding up. So every game that we're doing has a contract that's being touched by hand. So it's not a boilerplate. Every Mm -hmm. title has to be touched and massaged by hand. So it's very slow at first. But as I said, we're about to have this floodgate open with 50 titles right out of the gate. And then with another smaller tier company that has about seven to nine IPs, bringing that on. And I think that should open up a little bit of trust because it's a company that has, uh, it, it's kind of a bit of a darling in the industry. And I think they get, hmm. they, they'd be trusted. So, or a little bit more trusted than me, some bald guy in his 40s who owned a podcast <laughs> a couple <of> years ago. <laughs> C- well, CMO and strategist. There you go. I like that. I like, who are we to, oh, that's me. That's okay. I yes. got it. I
2: I feel like I don't know. Like it's really funny because I and I'm I can't find it now, but like I feel like for some reason I found you guys through Twitter recently, and then I went to that site and I'm like I don't know who this is or why they care about me. Wait, that's
0: funny that like, oh, you're talking about Anthony and I back a couple couple years ago. No, no. No, you're talking about Indie X. Indie X. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, just recently, I thought you were saying, like, in the recent history. I was wondering <laughs> no, why you would no. talk to me. No,
2: recently, like, it's for, I don't remember how I got connected with it, but, like, I don't know, I mean, do you guys have? Is it
1: because of Milton, uh, can, can I say his name? Yes, absolutely. Is it, is it maybe James Milky?
2: I don't think I heard it from Milky though. I don't know but like I, I got and I, and why do,
1: you know since we're on the topic we're, we're jumping around here well why do I know that name but outside of Neil well
2: I mean he was he was from
1: EGM that's what it was thank you that's what it was that's what it was but while Shidoshi looking further into that of of, of people spying on her uh, <laughs> interactions on social media I have to ask Neil being this close a few weeks out from the biggest gaming show in the world E3 will NDX have a presence there
0: we will have feet on the floor but since Kentia Hall has been defunct since what 2007 which is very sad like I loved that thing so much I loved Kentia Hall that was one of my favorite places you got everything from you know special vibrating massage chairs (laughs) To mouse covers, to just crazy peripherals that would never come out. Chachi's out the wazoo. That place was like Akihabara for weird crap. <laughs> I loved it. And uh, now, i mean,
2: like, I, I kind of miss those old. I miss those older days of, of E3. Um,
0: when I mean, because I don't remember. Did you go last year? For but, but, for a day. and not even like not even for not even on the floor yeah because it it, like if it
2: feels like it's getting smaller again at this point and i kind of missed the heyday when it had that entire kentia hall of just completely wacky stuff plus the two main hall you know packed and, and things like that like it was such a
0: wide variety of things where I feel like now it's only kind of the big boys who can be there. That's very true. And we have somebody that we're dealing with right now uh, who we're helping do marketing and promotion for them. This is outside of IndieX. This is Bauer Graphics now. We're helping a company push a title to market and we're getting the awareness train going. And what's happening is it's, it's a sim sports game it's in a game that takes place in the fall, and it's with a legend of that sport is the headliner, and it's not mm. Madden. So, but... Oh, wait, wait. Do we do we know this one already, though? It's... They've been teased. It's been teased out. Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, like, I mean, we know what it is. yeah. do? You, we, you know,
0: do? we know what it is. Mm. It's... Don't we? Yeah, it's Joe Joe Montana's 16. Yeah, it's Joe Montana. So we're helping try to drive awareness for this. Now, what's happening is we've got forums set up. We've got uh, interaction with the sim community. And what people are saying is that, well, if you're not at E3, this thing's going to be in the toilet. It doesn't... You know, this, if you don't have a presence at E3, we can't take this title seriously. I <laughs> said, a title like, why would somebody invest that kind of money? A new startup, new IP, new property. Why in the world would you dump X amount of dollars into a booth at one of these events? Because those prices are skyrocketing. When you had Kentia Hall, sure, you could get a booth right. there. A couple hundred bucks, maybe a grand. Maybe you know whatever it is, and then travel or whatever. You could do that show for under ten grand. But now, just getting your stuff on the floor, the labor to get it unpacked because you can't touch it yeah. because of union. Yeah. That just yeah. to get the stuff unpacked is going to cost you you know quarter of a but but one hundred twenty five thousand dollars to get your stuff shipped there, packed and up. And I'm like, who has that? That's money that could go into the into uh, into development. It can go into marketing into whatever. At E3, it's just like you said; it's a smaller audience than it's ever been. And but, but let me ask, let me ask you then: uh, Do you think, and we're getting way off topic
2: at this point, but do you think, given given that you're saying that, and given that is a situation, doesn't it make more sense at this point also to reach the kind of target audiences that these smaller indie companies look at instead, like a PAX
0: instead of an E3? That is absolutely it. So there are so many different venues to get out that are more granular, that are more targeted, just like PAX or even Ga- was it Gamescom in Germany. And like there's mm-hmm. different place. I wouldn't say that for the U.S. market, especially for a title like football. But the idea is that there are so many different venues now, whereas there was only one in the past. So and then outside of that, you've got I, I again, you've got different venues like Comic Con. You've got uh, sideways conferences like South by Southwest there's different places where you can start seeding content and seeding I can't believe I'm talking like this I hate myself <laughs> you're, what you're, happened to see, me yeah you're, oh, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, making, you're, you're making the most
2: of combined synergies in order to seed I'm gonna change the, the paradigm the market
0: <laughs> oh what happened to me oh I look in the mirror and I'm like I'm like little orphan orange what did I do <laughs> oh. All right, Anthony, keep going. Let's move past, unless I have anything you want to hear. No, next? you're
1: doing fine. So uh, before we move on off IndieX, uh, is, is there a site or anything anyone can check out online to learn more about it and what their latest uh, ramblings are?
0: Sure. Right now we're up at IndieXGames.com, and you can check out our Twitter at, well, IndyX Games. And uh, just check us out there. We're going to keep ramping up. I think you'll see a lot more. We're going to do a big press push and a new site after the titles that we're looking to launch will launch. It's, again, within the next probably few weeks that all that marketing machine will start. And uh, it's not like one of those things because we're so small. It's not one of those things like, well, in a few weeks, we're going to have it. Everything is lined up. We've actually purchased press releases. (laughs) And we've got them written. It's just we're waiting for the shoe to drop to launch those. And then the same with the website is that um, we know people who can put websites together. Um, I think it's uh, oh, it's at Bauer Graphics company. That's what makes oh. it really quick because <laughs> we can kind of work back and forth between the two. So, and that's how I got the CMO title, Chief Marketing Officer. Means I give away free services to a, a company I'm I'm helping put together. So. It. Uh, There's money in there somewhere. I know it. I can feel (laughs) there's money somewhere in the mix. I just...
1: Well, just so listeners know, this isn't some sort of podunk uh, endeavor. Uh, You can check out the great, the elite work of Bauer Graphics at bauergraphics.com. If you've ever seen an ad, a product or a campaign and said, how do they do that? Well, that is exactly what we do every day for clients like Nike, Columbia, the NBA, Subway, Amazon, and more. Hey, between you and me, I've also seen Capcom on that list, as well as EA and many others, many other gaming giants. Uh, Bauer Graphics is a full-fledged, full-service graphic design and digital studio that is dedicated to providing their clients and your customers with huge impact, enterprise-quality design work. If you have a product, game, or service that needs to differentiate itself, engage with your audience, and needs to be properly represented alongside your competition, check them out at bowergraphics.com, and uh, you can find our guest online at the very familiar and not quite legacy yet Twitter handle of double plus games. <laughs> legacy. Oh,
2: legacy. Wasn't that a great podcast?
1: <laughs> I'd heard a lot about it. Uh, you can find them at Bauer Graphics. That's all together. One word. That's B-A-U-E-R-G-R-A-P-H-I-C-S. Or the man himself, Neil Bauer. N-E-A-L-B-A-U-E-R. You can catch him online. He'll be more than happy to interact with you when he's not engrossed in either the NHL or rerun episodes of Rick and Morty.
0: Oh, God, greatest show on television. You
2: know, I have to say, as a fan of podcasts, there's nothing I hate more than when my favorite podcast promises me new episodes are going to come, and they never come. I mean, what kind
0: of podcast would do that to its <laughs> fans? Oh man! Well, you know, the host was an alcoholic, raging alcoholic, oh. and he had yeah other other issues. So
1: wait, let's clarify. Wait, wait, you're wait. talking. You're talking on. The double plus good games podcast. Yeah, well, is he talking about? Yes, WAP? thank you. Thank <laughs> what is you. Talk-
0: <laughs> yes, I'm
2: talking yes. about
1: the double plus good games podcast. That,
2: thank you. But so that- I was that. You know, and also, um, Anthony, uh, and I, Anthony, I'm sorry, um, the other one, Neil, uh, <laughs> James, like, did you, did you like, did you hire Anthony for your podcast at the beginning because of his like promotional skills? Is that, that is that what the main reason why you brought him on?
0: Uh, What's to do all your love promos and stuff? I think we made – did we talk about this before? When I first met No, Anthony- that wasn't
1: – I. well, and I'm off tonight too because I've got that Coke Zero in me so I keep fudging up every several words. Gotcha. But uh, No, uh, I, I was always complimented on my voice. Um, the long story short of it is all jokes aside as to why we got together for that endeavor or for any sort of podcasting endeavor is not to toot my own horn but – There were talks that they had wanted me for some time on the original Game Crazy podcast, but we could never make that work out schedule-wise and location-wise, as everything was done on site at the corporate office of Hollywood Video some time ago. And then it was, I've said this before, it was pitched in the 2010s, right around 2010. And um, we could do it with the power of today's technology, and then ironically... Uh, that was a few months after Warning a Huge Podcast had started, which I'd found a couple months prior to starting the Double Plus Good Games podcast.
0: And talk about great minds thinking alike. So I didn't know about the WAPcast, and Anthony was gone for hours at a time. And I said, where are you? And he's like, I'm still listening to the show. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? How long are those shows? And so the big running joke between us was uh, five or six hours. And I I did not listen to it because I was uh, initially, because uh, Anthony was game fan and I was next generation. So I was listening to all the next generation mm-hmm. podcasts there were out there. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> I was going to say,
0: like, that's, that's a,
2: a, a wide variety of shows. You keep yourself entertained for minutes.
0: Oh, uh, so. Uh, Anyways, uh, what was so serendipitous is that when we put together the Double Plus Good Games podcast, I did that in a vacuum, and I thought it would be hilarious to have a Japanese spoken voice introduce the show. And when I listened to the webcast, I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Or I think maybe e- either Anthony said, "Have you listened to the show?" or whatever the heck it was. And I, and then when I did, I'm like, "This is ridiculous," and I'm like, "I'm not changing it." No, I I remember. I remember the
2: like of bumpers and the yeah and stuff.
1: Well, the only reason I even found that podcast warning was because I was searching online key names reviewers from the Play and Game Fan days after the demise of Play. So I had wanted to know what you had been up to, and upon doing the search, that's what led me to the Morning Project website, which would have been in early you know maybe the second quarter of 2010. And and then it went from there. Once again I keep I keep sounding like a broken record, but due to the internet, easy communication, et cetera, that's what you know, that's and that's how I started interacting. Twitter had just come about and uh it, it went from there.
2: But anyway, enough about enough about me. I mean I I like talking about myself. I could do that all day.
0: But <laughs> You are the best.
1: Well you are I am. Uh, thank you. You are the number one socialite in the nation.
0: <laughs> Keeps going back and forth.
2: I keep being Los Angeles and, Tok- and Osaka. And, oh, I said Tokyo. Wow. That's horrible.
1: <laughs> there was something I, I did want to ask earlier, but now that has uh, readily escaped me. I'm so, an Aries.
0: Uh, you want to know my star sign? Is that it?
1: Yeah. You,
0: you're an Aries? Of course.
2: Champion. I'm a, so I am like... I'm, my, my, mine's kind of, kind of complicated, because it's, I technically should be an Aries, but the way I was born, I'm actually a Pisces, because I'm like right on the, is it cusp? Marchy, or? you're
0: a March man. Yeah. March, yeah. March, March, March. Hang on a sec. Oh my god, you're kicked off of this podcast. I'm done. I have a friend who's born right at the end of- I won't work with you anymore. I apologize profusely. That's, no. I, need to keep your, I need to keep Skype up. There we go.
2: Yes, yes. Look at that pretty picture. <laughs> I am looking at um, it right now. No, I yeah. So like it's it's always, always funny because like I I like it was I didn't I thought, I thought I was supposed to be Aries at first because of my birthday, um, and then like I did like some sort of astrological chart or something, and that actually said it was Pisces. And so I, I think it's because it was like time I was born in the I don't know I don't know that mumbo jumbo stuff, but
0: you were you were you consulting Zoltars and uh, Zodiac. Because that's there's there's screwed up dates in there from the seventies where there were people who thought they were Tauruses that were whatever that I remember there were some muddy dates in there, but you'll know when you'll know you're probably an Aries. I don't, the, see. I think I think I fit more under Pisces in terms of like personality and stuff. Interesting. But I don't.
2: But I don't know. I, I, go, I go
0: back and forth. I believe my wife is a Pisces. That's awful that I don't know. You're not supposed to do that, are you? Not know what my wife is?
2: No. <laughs> marry, Ma- like, marry that close of a sign.
0: Oh, well, she's the one who screwed up.
2: I always find of No one like should marry were- an Aries. are <laughs> <It's> the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I always find it funny, like, when you go to, like, a Chinese restaurant, and they have, like, the menu, like, the tablecloth, not tablecloth, but table. Mat you were things, reading,
1: yeah, you were reading my mind.
2: And they have, like, the the signs, and, like, marry yes. this and this. But it's always, like, because they go by years yeah, like you can never. You're never about to marry somebody your age.
0: That's probably that. I oh. I agree with that.
2: They had to always be like three below or three above. No, I you know mm. I I to be honest, I kind of agree with it too. But
0: she's in. She is an Aquarius. Oh, so you were way off. Yes. Well, they're both Did water. You? One carries water. One has fish in it. Whatever.
1: Yes. They're both watery. <laughs> what I'm, about twenty? What about twenty below?
0: Wait, what about 20 what i don't
1: i'm so lost <laughs> i was i couldn't get the joke out quick enough uh Shidoshi was saying you usually want to marry three above or three below
3: oh, oh gotcha
2: oh wait. oh wait a minute
0: so what is neil's wife is
2: that i'm
1: what i, I okay. was just saying that to just stir the pot no he they're actually or oh, she
0: older <laughs> Ooh, that was she's a she's a mail order bride she's 14 she's like a grandma <laughs> do you do like grandma's meal <laughs> and wife thing on here? I always do that when I bring my daughter out. I introduce uh. them and they're like, is this your daughter? I'm like, no, it's my wife. I got her out of a mail or a catalog. I'm sick of hearing about this. And then they get but offended. you can't
2: make that – I don't know if you can
0: make that joke anymore these days because people take that stuff a little too serious. You – yeah, it's, if, but the thing is, the people I'm dealing with already hate me for something. Well, else. You,
3: you,
1: you were just you were just posing with her for the next box art for the next niche uh, Vita title, making it there. You over. go.
0: <laughs> there you go. A legacy console.
2: I I love my anime girl faces console. Come on. The have Vita. you ever, like looked at the screenshots? Have you seen the screenshots of the bubbles? Where, like every single bubble of the anime girl
0: face. No. Yes, on the Vita. I have a whole screen that has like Demon Gaze on it and then I like that has it probably four yeah anime girls on it but I never even thought of that. I probably You know remember. I I wanted to,
1: I wanted to do a really good interview tonight but uh start over th- this this is a, Erase this is it. a game this is a gaming podcast and I think we will be able to get away with this topic uh, I've, we've gotten all our plugs out and paid our bills, so to speak, with the monopoly money that Neil is providing. Oh my this god! Evening. Do I have to pay and, for this? Uh, <laughs> I had no em-
3: idea.
1: <laughs> em- empty promises and Turkish dollars. That aside, let's let's get right to it. What are your feelings, Shidoshi and Neil, on the Sony Computer Entertainment America president recently alluding to the Vita being a legacy console outside of Asia?
0: I mean if you want my take on it I could care less I mean seriously that system there's no way I'm going to play any of the 900 like all of the 900 games that I already have on the thing right I mean it's got PSP games it's got PS1 games. I mean, I'm seriously I just finished well about a couple months back but um, oh gosh what is the the second one is oh good lord I'm losing my
1: Danganronpa 2
0: no, no, I did one and two of that. But uh Corpse Party. Oh, yes. So, Which they did, 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 did announce the an next one for that, too. R- I just saw that, and I had a heart attack. Because I'm like, I, I can't go back. I haven't even done any of the ease games. So the end of the day is that with all the remote play I'm doing, with all the PS one retro PS1 games, with the minis, with all of the games that I have on that system, I'm never going to play all of them. Uh, I think the legacy comment was about AAA titles I mean, that's my thought on it. Is that they're yeah. not going to really in- significant investment in AAA titles, and I'm fine with that because the the amount of games that I'm enjoying otherwise, uh, from even from you know uh, Shovel Knight to to Spelunky to, to all of those games are phenomenal. Uh, Towerfall Ascension is 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 great. The uh, Rogue Legacy like I these are. My problem with the system is not that it's considered legacy. It's considered that I have four or five 64-gig me- memory cards and trying yes. to figure out which one those are. So, again, I'm not too worried about it. My take on it is it was misconstrued, but that's a rarity in the gaming press. Do, do you no, you think no, Sony
1: present company excluded. Do you think Sony is doing a disservice to their fans or they should kind of be a little bit embarrassed internally in terms of like, you know, they push this? It does have... now. I believe this is global. They do have north of 10 million, uh, you know, consumers that own a Vita. And I am not trying to stir the pot with this comment, but it is true as of right now. On a technicality, it it is the same or more than the Wii U install base. Yeah,
2: so- it is. And, and I mean... So just to clarify, Neil, they did actually. This is even before. This is like months and months and months ago. Even um, maybe, God, I mean, a year ago. Um, Sony did come out and say they weren't doing any more games for the Vita. Really, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that is just AAA or that's overall. It might even be overall. Um, but like I, I consider, like you were saying, like you know, if if that system's dead, then man, I have a whole lot of games to play for a dead system. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is just Sony in the West just never got the Vita. Like, they never understood, and you know, what to do with it. I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, like, I know that the game from, I know Microsoft technically owns it at this point. So there is some, well, do we want to push a game that, you know, one of our competitors released or now owns, I should say. But why, why was there not a Minecraft bundle for the Vita? Right. Yeah, why was there not like a green or special kind of Minecraft Vita? Like, think about I mean, I see so many kids still walking around playing that stupid like iPad version of right. Minecraft. You know, if if you and I'm not saying it would push a whole, I mean, I don't know though. I mean, if you pushed like said, hey, here's Minecraft in the Vita, special bundle, like you could get Minecraft for free if you buy this Vita you know, take it to your friend's house, you can all play together and stuff, and it's the real version of Minecraft, not the stupid little iPad version. Like, why not do stuff like that? Like, I feel like they never really pushed the system. Like, Sony
0: America never really knew what to do with it. I I think you're right. I think they should be embarrassed the way they handled it. And right out of the gate, even going back to the podcast that Anthony talked about, when we first started and he was going to get the Vita, I said, you're an idiot. Why are you going to do it? They have so many different ways to deliver games to kids now. Like parents are handing systems down. The 3DS launched, and it actually did not sell extre- nope. extremely well, right? So I figured if yeah. Nintendo can't sell a handheld console, what does Sony have? What is Sony doing, right? Uh, they really have other de- other departments are not selling well. So I I, I actually thought consoles were dying out, uh, and I didn't expect this massive resurgence of consoles, like higher sales of consoles than I've ever seen. But handhelds were abysmal. The sales were abysmal for nin- Nintendo. So here's the deal. That's, when Anthony got it, I'm like, you're an idiot. Why would you do it? Why would you throw money away on a system? And it, what was it? In- no, it wasn't invisibles And In- what the heck was the... Little Deviants? Little Deviants. There yes, you go. Yeah, so games like that where I saw it and I'm like, that is a gimmick. I don't care about gimmicks. That's why I wasn't big on the Wii. So until I got my hands on the system and started playing a few games on it, I was like, Holy cow, this machine is far more than I thought because again, I my own experience said that there's no need for this. So I'm a gamer, but I still saw no real need for it. To to spend two hundred and whatever, what was it? Two ninety nine or two was, was it two forty
1: nine? I think it was two fifty if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, so what
0: was good. my what was the point of me spending that to have it sit? Right. So but when I got my hands on it, I realized, like, holy cow. And then I start being able to play games that I've missed, whether it be Final Fantasy Tactics. Missed as in felt like a longing for, right? Castlevania Symphony of Night on an OLED screen. Uh, you know, uh, Soul Reaver. Like, there are they're games that I was playing on this thing where, holy...
1: Via m- the PS1 Classics. Right. PlayStation Network.
0: And I start realizing, like, this is great. This is gaming on the go. It's really light. It's it's a powerful system. It's doing a lot of great things. And I'm like this is fine. And as the game started coming out, I again, Persona Four is a perfect example. I never could have sat there. I mean, I own Persona Four on PS. Is a Persona on PS two? PS two. Yep. Yeah. And I never. I I got to maybe the first TV. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I just couldn't sit there and do it but I've played mm-hmm. through all of Persona 4. I have played so much Demon Gaze, so much dung but like The system is amazing for what it opens up for me. It gives me the time, it gives me the space and bandwidth. Those are what Sony should have pitched, is saying, like, look at these experiences you're getting like none other, but they never seem to get out of that 2010-2011 phase of like, well, why would people want this? Well, that's your effing job <laughs> to kind of get people in that silo, and it just never did it, so... That's yeah, and I, I, I really do think
2: part of the problem, and I mean, to be a little bit fair to Sony America, I think there is a really uphill battle for selling a handheld at this point in America, you know, mm-hmm. because, like, the, the problem is Vita was kind of a little more of a serious gamers system, you know, versus the 3DS, but serious gamers in America are kind of like, why do I want that when I have a console? You know, so I think you have to have be a very specific kind of person to really be attracted to the Vita. And I think it's a system that works really, really well in Japan, but it is a hard sell here in the West. But I do feel like from the very beginning, Sony America didn't want the Vita. You know, like they didn't want to even have to touch it and deal with it. And so they kind of acted like they may were maybe going to push it at first and then did what they needed to do for it. But you just felt like they lost interest really quickly. And... Like, what you're saying, you know, like, it's their job to tell me why I want one. And, I mean, just look at, like, I don't know. And, like, we never just get any of the fun colors. We never get any of the fun bundles with it. You know, at least with the PSP, they tried that a little bit more. I mean, we we miss out on a lot of stuff, but we still
0: at least got a few things. Well, even with the PSP, they kind of missed the mark on a couple of their advertisements. Uh, they did a... a black and white i don't know if that was a sony one or a psp one but they were kind of they were shooting all over the place and then at the end when they were trying to push uh the system into a different market they brought in this new i don't even want to use the term but like new urban spokesman right where they they have the yes. president marcus? and marcus and i'm like wait what that's and don't kowtow yeah. to that like i could not figure out what their angle was well, it was it was Kevin Butler for the PS3,
2: which right. worked brilliantly. Like he was amazing, but then like okay, we need that for the for the PSP,
0: so they brought in like Marcus. Right. And yeah, it was. Not it's good. like the it's like the one kid in uh, Streets of Rage three. Oh God. The rollerblades. Skate, yes. Like um, wait, it's Like what is that? That's the Poochie character. It was like we already know it's over when you introduce that character.
2: Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, like you were saying, like about the memory cards, right? This is for big memory cards. Like, hey, we can't even get that in America here, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like they're they're not even bringing that out. Like, I just feel like they just don't want this system. And so, you know, like I I'm, I kind of like don't care what Sony thinks at this point because uh, you know who I do I do care about. I care about Atlas. I care about Exeed, NIS, Idea Factory, um, uh. Um, who am I missing? Oh. Axis, you know, companies mm-hmm. like that. Like, I care about the companies who are bringing games that I want. I care about the indies and all the indie stuff that's going on. You know, I mean, like, for for Sony, who supposedly care about this, like, they had a hand in, I think, Call of Duty, and Call of Duty sucked. <laughs> and they had, they had a had to bring in Borderlands 2, which could have been amazing, and that port was not great. Right. You know, I, I so,
0: couldn't figure out – I could not figure out why they brought that title to be –
1: was not to interject, but was Sony uh, Shidoshi in in charge of ha- outsourcing yep. those ports to other third parties? Yes. Oh, isn't that funny? And and uh,
2: what else were they in charge of oh, uh, out, big, out, outsourcing? Their Anthony.
1: The big news this week: uh, the PlayStation Four version of Ultra Street Fighter Four, Oof. seeing a very shoddy launch and port this past Tuesday which Capcom acknowledged was apologetic about and also made clear that Sony was in charge of outsourcing that to a third party to handle that conversion onto PS4.
0: Was that the company that handled the Bayonetta port for Sega?
2: <laughs> well, so, I, yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, but there, so there, it's other Ocean Interactive, and they are made up of people who were at Backbone. Oh, no the company, way! The company notorious name. for destroying ports for years and years.
1: Oh man. Now I don't what I can't figure out and hindsight's always 2020 20, like this was a huge opportunity for Sony and I don't know if Neil knows where I'm headed on this like it's not huge because it's it's not huge because it's just Street Fighter and on PlayStation 4, that's not where I'm headed. This is huge because it's like the flagship Capcom Pro Tour title. It's the version that's going to be showcased at Evo in a couple months, whereas while it wasn't forced, Evo used the, you know, heavily used the Xbox. 360 for many fighters including Street Fighter at times so this was a big coup a big win for Sony so you figure they would want the best of the best to handle this and put their good foot forward uh, as it being exclusive in many ways and they took the cheap route and this is kind of a half joke and not half joke you know they should have been hiring M2 instead or the likes of them
2: yeah and it's it it bugs me like it is there's far too often it's just like whoever the lowest bidder is going to be and they give it to and then you see things like the sega 3d classics where when you have a developer who really knows what they're doing and really cares that that turns into sales that turns into people saying hey this is good other people should buy it you know um yeah this was a huge game to give to somebody who just was going to you know give you a little bid on uh, it,
1: heroes, it makes no or? sense like the only thing i can think of logically and i don't know any names like is there some suit or someone who's in charge of that and 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 giving that workout and they just didn't care or just wanted to clock out at five o'clock and they felt that they ticked that check box off their list for the day like how could you not like look correct me if i'm wrong
3: you're wrong you sa-
1: are would it wouldn't you be salivating at the mouth if you're Microsoft and like in and, and trying to readjust this deal and, and do something with Street Fighter on Xbox one at this point and be like hey you know we'll put up the cost for everything we have these talented individuals with this resume and don't worry about it and we'll, we'll take care of the you know the damages just to get you know because these days over the last 12 to 24 months, while Xbox One made a huge blunder at the 2013 E3, it seems like they're throwing money out at everybody and making friends with everyone with their wallets and playing nice, nice and do and bending over backwards to everyone to rectify their gaming situation. I mean, it's, it's the type of thing where I wake up in the morning and I'm surprised I don't get an email from XBLA, uh, you know, uh, apologizing to me that they didn't have my coffee and croissant ready and give me three more games.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a it's just an all all around weird situation. I mean, am
1: I crazy? Like, I mean, so they they got to be working around the clock. Like, I mean, they've already announced on the Capcom Pro Tour that for each respective region, they'll go back to what people are used to and what's been used yeah. prior until the yeah. proper patches take place. And I would imagine the people at Evo, especially, they're the ones that really got to be sweating. Uh, yeah, 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 I,
2: I don't think I don't think there's any way Evo uses a PS4 version. And the problem is, so like they've already promised a patch. Is coming out next week, but um, like, I mean, if you're a tournament, right? If if this is like, because you know, this isn't where like, oh, we're just friends hanging out and playing games. This is where like, okay, one thing wrong with this game, if that if that somehow affects the outcome of a match, then this is all screwed. Right. Like,
1: this is made, Yeah, I've yeah. heard everything from color saturation to uh, uh, to you know to fr- frame lag.
2: Yeah, there's a ton, to, it's tons and tons. It's, of
1: it's the list is endless.
2: Yeah, so if you're if you're a tournament, even if they, they come up with the patch that says it fixes everything, like, do you really trust that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust it until we have like months of kind of testing to make so that we've right, had enough is, real world experience to make sure that there's no problem. So I can't see like for the rest of the Capcom Pro Tour this year.
0: Like, I cannot see anybody using the PS4 version.
1: I mean, how uh, it's it's mind boggling.
0: Did they ever, just to bring up Bayonetta again, did they ever fully patch Bayonetta no. on PS3? Yeah, I don't think so. They, they but, I think they fixed, like, was it fixed the load
1: time? Yeah, like they it? they um they did a patch to install all of the game data, which improved some of the load time and maybe some other tweaks. But they never fixed, like, the aliasing issues or completely fixed the frame rate issues and things of that nature. mm uh, for the record not to stick up for it cuz it's quote my game so to speak you know that that version is still far superior in comparison as to what happened with Ultra Street Fighter 4 this week <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but um but you that know, you, is know was awful. It, you know what
2: you know was another big botch up the 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 inevitable death of game crazy <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's a great I, You transition. know, I, I,
1: I, I was going to say no joke that I threw the format out and we are now listening to generic video game podcast episode 9.5, nine point five nine and a half. But Shodoshi actually bringing us uh, back on track to I the format. I want
2: to hear about the early days of GameCraft.
1: I'm saying right, you're so patching. You're
0: patching you have more DLC than Drive Club on this show, <laughs> <laughs> which is now a halfway decent game. Halfway decent, my arse. That game is
3: phenomenal <laughs> it
0: really is to get, I, it I
3: is, is an eight
0: it's an eight it's a good eight without wow. a doubt so wait wait so in your world phenomenal is an eight well uh, listen like a nine or a ten if, if i were walking into a conversation and i expected to say it's a 10 out of 10 i love it it is a game built for me it is a driving game built around everything that i love about driving games right so i love it personally for me it's the top racing game in the last three game consoles and i'm I Seriously, I still played them. I played tons of racing games from Metropolis Street Racer all the way through the Forza. Like, I, I play racing games, and I bore of them so quickly. Like I, I
1: don't know if I would say the last three con- – you don't mean three console generations. I do. Oh, I don't know. You might want to think about that, please.
0: That- well, I, I, have a, I have a
2: question about Drive Club for you, Neil, but because you mentioned it real quick, like – Oh my god! Like Metropolis Street Racer was the most amazing thing in the world to me when that first came out. Mm -hmm. Because like I, you know, I don't know who who was still around who might have played it back in that day and really appreciated it. But like, not only did it have like the time of day was set to like real world time of day, Mm -hmm. but that was at a point when we still hadn't really had much of the whole like radio station thing. Yeah, and to actually have like DJs and ads and like. Songs like you feel like you would hear on radio stations and stuff and that thing was just so crazy like that game like just blew my
0: mind when it first came out that was a phenomenal game when it came out and I remember that's uh, I remember riding around it in San Francisco that was done by yep. bizarre right it was a
1: bizarre yeah name. Yep. yep yep
0: yep so I want to ask you real quick um because
2: a co-worker and I were talking about this over um project cars okay so before we get the gamePCy stuff I uh, do you think at this point, like, do racing games have to have um, just too much at this point? Because, you know, there was a time when racing games were like Ridge Racer, right? And you had three three tracks, and that was it. You had, you know, like, four, four cars, three tracks. That's all a racing game had to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then we got to kind of the Gran Turismo era where... It was, oh, my God, now we're actually getting, like, real cars in our games. I mean, we had that with OutRun a little bit and some other things. but Gr- Yep. But Gran Turismo was like, okay, we're getting real cars in here, and you're getting replays, and you can do some tuning up and stuff. And there's it kind of, like, ramped up as we went along. But I feel like now you've actually reached, like, another plateau where you can't just be – Almost like a simulator anymore, because if you if you're just like a racing sim, well then there's like 800 other racing sims out there, so you have to be like a drive club, where you have like you know these on track challenges and these these clubs you can set up and race each other and things and and all this kind of stuff, or you have to be you know Forza doing its its drive atars and all this kind of stuff. So I almost feel like it's kind of that escalation you know, that's getting like higher and higher. Do you you think a a racing game can just come out and just be like a kind of pure, simple racing game at this point? Or do they have to have too much in
0: them? So I, this is where Drive Club starts to get into the 9 and 10 territories for me. Because when it came out, it was abysmal. It was terrible. I'm not going to deny it. It's an awful launch. They should never have launched the thing. It was broken you couldn't get on you couldn't well, buy no, to it be fair though to be
2: fair because i did play it before it launched and when i was playing it before it launched like everything i tried worked perfectly and it, it had features that i don't even know if they
0: even got implemented again like there yeah there's a couple visual features like the uh, they just getting into the car they have part of that they don't have the full thing anymore where you could put your seatbelt on you could look around before you go out none of that's in there they couldn't well, I remember, cause I, like when, cause when i was playing and i don't know you can tell me if this is in the
2: game now or not um on each menu screen under the main part of the menu there were actually like all these community challenges and stuff listed all below that so you could actually scroll down under under the main menu on every screen and have like stuff that was active there. Uh, and see, I, I don't even know if that stuff is even fully implemented again at this point or not.
0: Yeah. So right now it's still kind of Windows 8 blocky modular kind of. Here's your here's your events. Uh, but the thing about the game that is so so to to your point, let's go back to where you said, mm-hmm. could you make a simple game? I think Drive Club would have been. So much better received... I mean, it would have been shit on them, no matter what. They, we're in the games industry, right? Think people are going to crap all over stuff just to do that. That You're going to have that faction. So if Drive Club had come out and been like, here's five tracks, here's 12 cars, uh, everybody gets this version, which is kind of what they were promising, right? Everybody gets this version. And then they started selling the DLC. I think it would have been an amazingly successful title. But what they've been doing now is crisis control, but... What people haven't seen or people are looking at Metacritic and seeing sevens and are like, I'm not buying it until I get my free version, which is probably coming out in two weeks or three weeks at E3. Uh, my guess is they're going to do that whole Apple thing. It's available right now. You can <laughs> download it. And uh, But if they had done that and rolled out DLC, it would have given people the best of both worlds where they could have just released five tracks and 12 cars and it would have been a decent game. And then with the graphics, people would have been definitely pulled into it. People would definitely would have went onto the Ferraris and Diablo. So I think there's a chance that you could still make a simple racing game, but you've got to deliver it the right way, and you can't just lie to people. <laughs> you can't just disappoint people. Like There are things you just can't do and expect the game to continue to sell and continue to be supported So by by your fans. But uh, I, I have totally drank the Drive Club Kool-Aid. Uh I'm real I was planning on getting not only Drive Club but Project Cars cuz that game looks gorgeous. That game looks absolutely stunning every time I see it. And then the other one which was that came out in October that just disappeared. The heck was that one? There were three mm-hmm. racing games I was going to get. There was Drive Club uh, The Crew? The Crew. That oh, thing is uh, Oh, oh, oh yeah, Ubisoft got punched so hard right in <laughs> like they're like, "Well, this is a great time to release it because there's all this crap on drive club uh let's bring this title, and it just did not live up to expectation and uh, so I went from buying three to just being very satisfied with one i'm I don't know if I'm going to get the crew uh I don't see myself playing that because again. Don't waste I'm, your time on that okay, <laughs> that's good, <laughs> good to hear." <laughs> But yeah, see, at least,
2: yeah, I mean, look, the crew isn't trying something different, which was interesting. But I guess that's what I feel like is is kind of like a lot of these games now. You know, I mean, it's almost kind of weird. Like if you look at like Call of Duty, for example, which obviously isn't a racing game. But, um, you know, the last Call of Duty came out had cybernetic, you know, exosuits and, and crazy jumping and stuff like that. And now, oh, look, the next Call of Duty has that as well. So you mm-hmm. ask yourself, like, okay, can Call of Duty ever go back to being just simple running around a, a, you know, a, a, an area of, like killing people just like normally? So I always got to, I guess, worry is can – like, if I get a new Ridge Racer right now, right, which I want very badly, but does the world care anymore? Because we've had just such expansion of what the racing stuff is.
0: I think Ridge Racer is a tough one. Ridge Racer is super – I think Ridge Racer is a great title. Same with Wipeout. is a great title to bring out at launch because it's a visual showcase of what you can do. But the game, and Anthony's going to kill me for it, but I don't think the game is as deep... I think it's definitely – what it's for is just to say, like, look how beautiful these things are. Ridge Racers uh, – like, R4 was just one of the most beautiful-looking racing games I had on the – Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's uh, – absolutely beautiful.
1: Which from- was not a launch title. The original Ridge Racer was. Right.
0: Yeah. R4 is way – That's the. I still have two <clears throat> jog cons in the garage. Don't make me pull oh, them out. Oh, yeah. So
1: but – not, But not to be rude and, and cut you off, but I want a new Ridge Racer as well, and this is going to, you know, be – very down in the dumps, but I have lost all hope and I, I don't expect to see it again. It, and if you can't I can't
0: really it mid console, it just won't well, sell. Well,
1: well, because citing my reason reason being we did get Ridge racer seven at launch, which I think is one of the best entries in the series. Although, um, the, the challenge level on that game is a bit high. If they could have modified that a little bit, uh, I would go as far as to say it may even be the best entry in the series, uh, along with four. But we got that Ridge Racer Unbounded in 2012, and th- you know that that's that's just now that's already been a couple years now, and that was done by Bugbear, and they even admitted, you know, that 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 racing title started out as something else. Namco saw it, took a liking to it, and then they utilized that as the the new entry. It was more westernized, whatever it is. And not knocking the team or knocking the attempt, but it's just not Ridge Racer, and I don't know. I think I think the I think Ridge Racer is rooted in the old competitive arcade days of Sega versus Namco when they were always showcasing. Uh, you know, if one did a fighting game, you know, you know, you had Virtua Fighter then you had Tekken, you had. You know, your Daytona USAs and Sega GTs versus your Ridge Racers, your Manx TT, your GP500s and Cyber Cycles, etc., etc., Virtual on Cyber Sled. You know, that's all from an era gone by, and Gran Turismo changed that whole landscape. Uh, I do feel overall for the better, kind of, but also for the worse in some instances. I think the big trick is to convince people that the arcade racer can still be relevant and that you're getting your money's worth. So much today is reliant upon 40 hours, 60 hours, 1,000 unlockables, five season passes. Um, Instead of forgetting that, you know, hey, it's it's okay to have fun, get in and out of a game, play for a half hour, an hour, you know, go back to the three or six tracks you've got, master them, uh, you know, try and get really good at it. Instead of worrying about, you know, 50 tracks, 500 cars, and, uh, you know, and, and and playing online all night.
2: I would just argue, by the way, that I think the best Ridge Racer game is one that we never got in the West. Ooh. And that is Ridge Racers 2 for the PSP. That Whoa. Game is, have you ever played that one? No,
0: I played the first one to death. I had no idea about the second I, one.
1: I, I do own that.
2: Yes, yeah, so Ridge what? Racers Two. And there's actually there's actually an an English language Asian version, which is what I have. Right. Um, on UMD, and it ended up it includes basically every race track of every PS one Ridge Racer game.
3: Oh
2: man! So it has has every single R four track in it. Every Rage
0: Racer. It's, it's, so, it's so... So, so this is going to get me immediately crapped on. I thought people were going to be angry with me for what I was going to say about Game Crazy, but uh, I thought that EA should have done that with the Need for Speed series, but they're just so completely crazy. They're, they've gone so off the rails with that series, I have no idea what they're... Gonna, they've got a new Underground apparently coming out, you'll see in about a couple weeks, but the the idea was that you have so many different Need for Speed games... I have a very particular fondness to the first and the third, and eh, maybe Hot Pursuit. Well, Hot Pursuit is the third, P- but Hot, anyways,
2: Pursuit, Hot Pursuit on PS One was amazing. Right, it
0: was a fantastic game with so many different areas to race in. From the you yeah. know, and so what I was thinking is that EA would release a here's a Need for Speed engine that will release three games. It's free. Maybe it's free. Maybe it's twenty bucks. Who knows? But then they would sell tracks and DLCs and cars or a season pass where you could do – that's the way I thought they were going to take the need for speed, mm-hmm. but they didn't. They just basically said, no, 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 we like the model where we sell seven million copies of a game until it doesn't sell anymore, and then we give it away, and then we do the next round. So that's kind of how I thought they were going to take it, where they were going to bring that. But I had no idea that Ridge Racer 2 was on the PSP, and it had all that stuff. That's fantastic.
3: Yeah, yeah
1: but it was weird because, correct me if I'm wrong, was the Asian version not called – because the first one was – Ridge Racer, correct?
0: It's it's
2: weird because I it's, it's, I think the difference is it's either Ridge Racer or Ridge Racers. That's it, with yeah. An S. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's depending on which region you're in, whether or not it has the S on it. Right. But yeah, so there, there isn't a fully English language version, and it has that it has every PS1 track, and and so it you know if you liked the first PSP Ridge Racer, it's basically that game was double the content. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and well, I think I think it might even have like the entire I'm trying to remember if it has the entire I don't think it has the entire R4 soundtrack but I think it has a lot of the tracks.
1: It has a good chunk and then weren't there CG movies to unlock?
2: Yes, cuz you could actually unlock like um <clears throat> you could actually unlock for example the the R4 intro mm. which is still an absolute classic to this day and you could unlock a bunch of other like CG stuff. So yeah, it, it like it was a real like love letter to
0: Ridge Racer, so you um, guys want I'm gonna. This is ridiculous, and I apologize to all of the fans of your show because <laughs> we are nobody really probably knows who I am, and then we're just sitting here talking about <laughs> stuff. But here's I'm gonna continue this because did you know? Have either of you you started using Spotify on your PS4s?
2: I okay. I tried it. Like I don't get Spotify. Like I don't get. These streaming music services, like Mm -hmm. I just don't understand them, and I don't understand why people use them. I mean, I I guess I kind of do, but I don't just get them. And I tried using Spotify on my PS4, but again, like I don't understand it because I go in there and I go into what I think is, like I thought it was like a, here is some chill music for when you're having parties, and I'm like, well, I'm having a party and I want some chill music. That seems perfect, and I went in there. But it was like one big playlist. It wasn't like a channel or anything.
0: Okay, so you can build your own playlists and all that. So I'm not going to yes. pitch the. I'm not going to say how great Spotify is because I'm older and music has no meaning to me, right? <laughs> like, I'm not going to act like, oh, I love it because I can listen to all music. Who cares? But uh when i got it initially i did the 30 day trial on ps4 and i was able to play bloodborne using the castlevania symphony of night soundtrack and i said holy cow so i was listening to castlevania as i was playing uh, uh bloodborne and it was amazing and i actually shot I did the typical youtuber shot a picture of my screen with my or shot video of my screen on my phone as i'm playing going oh it's amazing So then uh, playing The Witcher, I'm using the Red Dead Redemption soundtrack, and it's unbelievable. Like, the amount of dimension that adds to it is crazy. So here's where this is all coming down to something. You can actually listen and arrange your own Ridge Racer album. They have tracks on there right now. They have the arranged tracks for Ridge Racer. I think it's... Oh, shoot. I can't remember if it's... You can actually listen to Ridge Racer as you're playing uh Drive Club or any mm-hmm. of the other racing games. And that has been such an amazing experience because I'm listening to things that really got me into games back in the day while I'm playing this. So I'm actually I've got uh the soundtrack for some Wipeout in there. I've got some the soundtrack for Gran Turismo in Spotify that I basically created a playlist of all of them and now I play them as I'm playing Drive Club. It's an amazing experience for retro gamers who had those ethereal experiences playing with music they love. So again, if you guys are playing Drive Club, you still have it in well, you probably don't have Spotify, but you can actually listen to the Ridge Racer tracks as you play that game. It's huge. It's
3: amazing. See, I
2: feel I feel like it's so blasphemous to listen it's to. I- music I- <laughs> How dare you listen? like, like, like as, as soon as you said like oh I'm listening to Castlevania when I'm playing the bloodborne, like my skin's like crawling at
1: that point. And then, <laughs> I said, oh my god,
2: how you do that? I,
1: I'll let that slide for Neil because it kind of is it's logical at least, but it's a very interesting point you make in that I feel similar in that I don't understand people who will have like the stereo or other things going on while playing the game because I think – like I feel like it's some unwritten rule where you're supposed to be listening to the soundtrack provided or the sounds of the game. Like it's part of the experience or the well, package. Well, I got bad
0: news for you. This is going to be awful. And again, I'm going to make enemies by some of the stuff because I'm very opinionated. If nobody knows who I am, I'm super opinionated, which is rare in the games industry. <laughs>
3: yeah, i uh, but,
0: but the Witcher soundtrack is weak. And I recognize that early, like the, f- the intro and some of the early scenes, I was so enamored with how the game looked and, you know, the experience, uh, not so much the guy's voice, but you know, everything's all right. The game's all right. But then the music at a certain point, I realized is softer. And I, the composer could be exceptional. It's just not my t- kind of music. I think they kind of went a little bit Western, a little bit spaghetti Western, and then they did... I mean, they're all over the place. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. For, to
1: for all I know, top forty could have been playing because I was too busy squinting my eyes. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, when I put the Red Dead Redemption soundtrack on and others, I have Ennio Morricone that you know is used in uh, Kojima stuff. That made the experience so much better for me. who Who is ch- once I became aware of the music in the game, it really kind of was like, wow, that's a ding. But again, mm-hmm. I understand where you find it blasphemous. Because if I was listening to, you know, if someone came up to me and said, oh, I was playing Journey and listening to Nazareth, I'd be like, you're an <laughs> asshole. I hate you.
2: <laughs> so Don't mess crazy. with Wintry! Game Crazy. Oh, good. Now he Tells wants to right. talk about Game Crazy. All
1: was right. Tell us about Game Crazy. Was it
2: crazy? Did
0: you have games? Um, all right. So. Game crazy. So to to go back before it and wait, should it be? I'm going to, I'm going to continue to call you Shidoshi or do do, do you go by Molly on the show or Shidoshi?
2: Um, I've been with my Shidoshi still. I haven't decided
0: like fully what to do, but yeah, Shidoshi is fine. All right. So Shidoshi, that whole thing starts off. And again, we've already talked way too long. And again, I will, I'm on your timeline. So you let me know when you have to go.
1: You got about five minutes. Oh, jeepers. As long as
2: I
0: get to target before it closes, so I can get the stupid Pac-Man amiibo, I'm fine.
2: What time do um, they close?
0: Uh, midnight. Oh, oh my shit.
2: gosh! How far away do you my live ca- from
1: it, my ca-
0: I live like uh, two blocks away. Oh, okay, that's no problem.
2: I'll, I'll, I'll I,
1: I have a Splatoon amiibo on hold.
2: Yeah, my my Splatoon's coming in the mail, but uh, okay, real quick before we get the game crazy because this is crazy in this fucking. I hate this stupid amiibo thing, but like. My, my thing was, I'm like, okay, because I, I love, I love the Inklings. Like, I since the moment I saw them, I loved them. So I'm like, okay, if Nintendo makes an Inkling Girl Amiibo, I will buy it. That would be my first Amiibo and my only Amiibo. And I bought that. And the problem is, it's kind of like crack. Like, you're like, I'm never going to take crack. I'm never going to smoke crack. I'm never going to, you know, whatever. And then you take your first hit of crack. Mm-hmm. And you're like, eh, okay, I can maybe do this again sometime. Um... So now, like, it's in my blood. So I'm looking at this stupid Pac-Man amiibo that came out. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that Pac-Man's <laughs> actually really cool. I should get that, too. And I do have, like, $9 on my Target gift card still. Oh. So I could go get it. <laughs> and really, It like, would be, like, 3 bucks or so. So I'm going yeah, to so be going from zero amiibos to two. And I'm That's scared now. What's going to happen?
1: I, I currently have the boy uh splatoon on hold this will mark my fourth amiibo
2: i'm trying to think okay wait wait don't say
1: but i do intend to get all of the splatoon ones at some point but i'm just doing that one for now okay
2: so you you have you have three others
1: uh yeah so this is the second one i'll be paying for in my life and i was gifted to amiibo
2: Oh, you were gifted now now were you gifted them from somebody who really knew what to get you or no
1: uh, uh yeah, we'll say yes. So w-
2: w- were these amiibo that you would have definitely bought yourself? Uh, one
1: of them, no, because it was an extra, but at the time it had some value, and then one of them, yes.
2: <sighs> I'm trying to think of like
1: the first. Uh, we'll get the first one out of the way because Diddy Kong.
2: Oh okay.
1: That was a while ago. Yeah. I have that one boxed.
2: <sighs> I'm trying to think of what you would buy. But, I'll
0: like, tell like, like, like yeah. Neil. Do you have a guess on what?
2: Amiibo, he would buy.
0: Is there a solid snake Amiibo? No. All right, hang on a sec. Is there a Wario Amiibo?
1: Uh, you know what? That is yeah. one I kind of wanted. But uh, I was gonna say <laughs> I don't that. have. I don't have that. I do like Wario. Yep.
2: I'm. Uh, I don't know. Like I, uh, yeah. I'm like I'm kind of trying to. Oh wait, is there wait? Movie. Is there a Metroid? Well, there there is a Samus around. Uh, there there is a Samus in suit. And the Samus out-of-suit is
0: now just coming out. All right. I mean, I, I could go down there and say, knowing Anthony's, he he's strange. He'd be like, is it muscle-bound? Is it scantily clad? Or is it Yoshi? That's like kind of the Nintendo. I do
1: kind of want the yarn. <laughs> I do kind I of want the yarn, Yoshi.
2: Well, because one of my guesses was what's name little, little Mac for some reason. So I'll you know uh, yeah, I'll, I, I'll yeah, say no. I'll say little Mac is my vote.
1: I don't have that, but I've got no. Mega Man.
2: Oh yeah, which is a really good one too.
1: And then I bought the GameStop exclusive The one. I paid for was the Xenoblade. Uh, ah. That one. And then I'll be getting the one of the Splatoon ones. I I didn't have the money. I wanted to do the three pack. I just didn't act in time. and I didn't have the dough. But uh, yeah, see, Mega
2: Man's the one other one I was really tempted by, and like I'm, I'm still a little bit tempted because that actually is a really cool. I mean, because like, and I think I think Mega Man's really hard to get right in 3D, mm-hmm. but I really like the design they made for him. I-
1: I'll That's tell cool. you one I legit want, even though the character has been disgraced uh, in gaming right now, uh, Sonic.
3: Hmm.
1: The Sonic okay. one looks really good. Have you seen it?
2: Yeah, I just I don't like any of the ones that have the stands. Oh, so that's that's kind of the same, also reason I don't want the Zero Suit Samus. Mm. Because she has one of the stands.
1: mm I think the one right now because I'm in the I'm in the Amiibo group on Facebook. Don't ask me why. Oh my God! <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no! Wait, wait, wait! Time out! Time out! How is that? <laughs> Time out. I was placed into that group. I didn't voluntarily go into the group. Okay, mm-hmm. but you could by your split you know, personality.
2: You can like unsubscribe from it.
1: I know. I know. Is but is not no. But a, a really good friend of mine put me in there. I don't want. I don't want to do that. And everyone's been <laughs> oh. <laughs> everyone's been lining up, and everyone's trying to do trades tonight for restocking of Greninja.
3: Yes.
0: God.
1: But, uh. I'm sorry, anyway. this. Uh, to end this, to yes. end this um, amiibo talk here shortly, Shidoshi, do you think we will see the day f- uh, for a money grab? Do you think Nintendo would ever have the cojones to think of making all of the Pokemon into. Uh, amiibo like i can't uh,
2: see them doing like all of
1: them i mean could you but uh, don't you think the ocd and the the nintendo the hardcore nintendo fans wouldn't you start out by maybe doing the original game boy the original 152 pokemon and and test but, that i mean they, they
2: can't even handle releasing like eight hey, of them
1: it, uh, like
2: they like they, they can't they can't even get like those in stores and stocked and everything you, like, you
1: know how you know how you're always so proud and and, and uh, of my plugs just to show you that I do listen to some of your other work uh, you you were just talking about this uh uh you know w- in great depth recently on smart video game fan
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it just it just hit me uh, i wasn't even thinking about it but uh yeah the conversation just it just sparked in my head but yeah th- back on that you know look we all know it's look how hard can it be to mold a 50 cent piece of plastic and run it through the conveyor belt. It can't be that hard. So at this point, it's, it's really tough to believe what comes out of their mouth. But at the same time, maybe when, maybe when they need a boost or a gimmick or, or the time is a little bit different, maybe in another six months or a year, I can't imagine them pumping out even more Pokemon amiibo uh, to be up for grabs.
2: So, you know, with this, whole, with this whole craze of, like, games that have little action figures that come into the game, when are we getting our whole, whole like, little homies game? That'll, you know you put your little homies oh my, on the stand.
1: Oh my god. And they go in. Oh my word. <laughs> this the stuff you remember. I don't know what's worse. In, in, it, and and like, referencing you know, the referencing that know, the, or the, the or, little
2: platform you put them on. It's actually like a little mini street corner. So
1: <laughs> I don't know what's worse, referencing that or me actually seeing in comic shops garbage pail kids cards come back.
2: Oh. God, I remember we were so into trading Garbage Pail Kids cards when I was young. And there was even, like, the whole thing where you were like, I've heard there's this Garbage Pail Kid that they were going to release and they can't release it because it was too gross. And so, like, but, like, somebody you knew, like, had a cousin who had that card. And because I like, could always only release for, like, a week and then they pulled it. Right. And, but he happened to get
0: one and, yeah. You know what I'd love to do? I would love to go back in time to uh, the bygone age of the 80s and just say, hey, kids come here in the future <laughs> this is what mortal Kombat looks like good night i'm going back to the future <laughs> Kids on, are
2: gonna, i pl- mean imagine you imagine imagining <laughs> back in time and showing yourself like, an iphone
0: like that would like blow your mind oh dude that would be i'm like that's next
2: generation that's in star trek yeah because I, I remember back in the day like you know hitchhiker's guy to the galaxy you're like Oh, yeah, you can never have a thing in your pocket that has right. like, you know, the world's knowledge in it and whatever. And,
1: so. Well, the big thing was like the video conferencing aspect or like the, what we now have is FaceTime. Like I never thought we'd like, – the thing used to be could you imagine talking to your friend or talking to someone on a phone and being able to see them?
2: Do you remember – okay, wait, do you, do you remember – and Neil might. I remember when I was young going to like a, the mall AT&T store and they actually had those really crappy video phone things. Mm-hmm. I remember those. Yeah, so they were they were like trying to do that like way back in the day, but it just never worked really. The this is
1: so off base do you know what used to have me enamored when I was a kid? I used to love the security alarm systems on those cars where they would talk to you. Oh
0: god, step away from the vehicle. <laughs> but
2: no I, 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 I
1: I think because uh, no. it, it reminded me of RoboCop. Yeah. Well, no,
2: that that does make a lot of sense though. <laughs> but I, I think I think for me the most thing if I could go back in time, I would go back in time and I would go visit Neil at Game Crazy and see what kind of great sales he had. You oh, you know what? Game let's Crazy. start
1: let's start with a fun story. If if you could go back in time to Game Crazy time era when he worked there, and this is why one of the reasons why uh, time travel scares me. Because uh, God forbid the things that people can see in, uh, at different points in time. You may have caught Neil performing the Rock's People's Elbow on a P.O.P. standee inside the store.
0: Good Lord. Was that Rival School? That couldn't have been Rival School. I
1: have no idea what it was. I got no idea.
0: Not almighty, That's when yeah. my, my hips wouldn't shatter into a million pieces. <laughs> Cause that's what happens when as soon as you crest 40, like everything turns into calcium deposits, and just like pow, <laughs> Like the top of the World Trade Center is just. Pow, just I'm like, not
1: even there yet, and I'm starting to feel like garbage oh, at work. That but. was
2: too soon.
0: No, it's wow. not. My wife is so into conspiracy theories, she has me watching 9 11 stuff all day long. I wish you were those people, <laughs> and I'm calling
2: and I'm, call- and <laughs> and I'm to, text- text to you in the middle of the day. Hey Neil, just want to say I love you, and that
0: jet, f- jet fuel would not burn steel. yes. And concrete then he getting- does not concrete does not blow out like this. Oh no. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> we just had a wonderful conversation the other day where I'm like, I'm going to sleep in the other room, not because I'm mad, it's just because I don't want to hear any more of this. <laughs> this is insane to me.
1: And then he's got some other text in him in the middle of the night about how the moon landing is uh, a hoax.
0: Oh my God like I'm surrounded by these people and then I just somebody on my Facebook wall just I know who we're talking about Anthony we're talking about you but then we also uh, somebody just said I got a f- I think this is Bigfoot can somebody verify and I'm like are you f-? and it's serious it's somebody I grew up with and I'm like oh my god didn't heaven what is happening but
1: can I don't know why this is so horrible my my computer is going to probably run out of battery but literally before we finish tonight and I swear we're getting the game crazy Well, but now we're talking about uh, in search of yeah, stuff yeah uh, now Go that forward. we're on, now that we're on conspira- conspiracy theories it, it it is interesting to go back and look at nine eleven footage and with the news anchors and Peter Jennings and how he even just instinct you know instinctually discusses how it looked like the demolition of a building like when you you know when you use TNT.
0: I'm gonna get Heather on this podcast and you guys can carry on <laughs> with the rest of the conversation.
1: I'm gonna go
2: hang myself right now. Why? Okay.
0: What, what's going on? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, but yes, anyway, so speaking of demolition, Game Crazy <laughs> was demolished. Um, so I don't even know if you know how I got into Game Crazy. I uh, don't, Neil. Please tell me. Oh, well, it's a fantastic story that I'm going to have to compress in order so you can get to Target to get your Amiibo characters. So uh, I was working for a company called Image Builder Software that did... Uh, software for Broderbund, uh, mm. like microsoft tutor we did stuff for uh, hasbro and a couple other companies right so i'm working for that for image builder and i'm trying to squeeze them i'm trying to get them to do uh, get a Uralza so they can start developing playstation games
1: oh the net Euros. yeah euros
0: euros, how do you say that Shidoshi? i think it's yaroze
1: yaroze so,
2: yeah cuz yeah, it's it's yado is like let's do it And Z is kind of like the exclamation ending. So yeah. Nice.
0: Well done. So the idea is that I'm trying to get them to do that. And they are definitely saying, no, uh, children's software is going to be around forever. People are going to want to spend $50 on a game that their kids (laughs) play for two minutes. Um, Then Flash kind of decimated that industry. But anyways... um, so I was working at Image Builder, but I was buying so many games that on Sunday nights for four hours I would work at Electronics Boutique so I could get the twenty-five percent off games they offered employees, <laughs> and I'd basically just take my paycheck and buy a game every week. So uh, that was kind of the whole plan: is that I would pay, buy games every week. I just work there to buy a game. So what night? What am I doing tonight? I'm buying, you know, Dead or Alive for Saturn, whatever. So when I'm doing that. I was working at – so I was working at Image Builder, was doing that, and then I, I kind of went from EB to software, etc. to Babbage's, which is where I met Anthony. And I was in Babbage's, and somebody came in from Hollywood Video and said, hey, we're starting up game stores. He had bought – this is the owner. He had bought three game stores – Three game crazy game stores, independence, and he's like Hollywood Video is going to do what Babbage's or Software Cetera is doing. And at the time, from working in both Software Cetera, Electronics Boutique, and uh, Babbage's, is that right? Software, yeah, working at those three locations. I'm like, any company that has a modicum of their shit together is going to destroy this company <laughs> because uh, the greatest story of all time is the story about how Electronics Boutique was. Basically, put out a business by trying to acquire software, etc., which is which was GameStop.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So they essentially filled. EB was going to take over those stores. Oh, did you do you even know about what happened at that time in 1997? I think I'm trying to think. I mean, because like, I mean, I knew like the
2: the store I went to. There was an electronics boutique I went to. I mean, there was, like, all three. Electronics Boutique, Babbage's, and Software, etc. But I don't really know if I know the story of, like, what
0: happened with them. So Software, etc. was going out of business. And what EB was trying to do that holiday, and I think it was 97. It was the year that mortal? Uh, the, sorry, that Resident Evil 2 came out. So was that 98? I
1: think it was January of 98. So, Resident, yeah, was- Resident, Evil, Resident Evil 1 was spring of 96. Well, You and I met fall of 98. I started in 97. Because Are you talking we, we, about the whole Neo cause, start thing? Because
2: we got a build of RE2, because RE2 is what got GameFan in trouble. So we got Go that build of RE2 when I was still in the office, which was 96 to 98. So that sounds like about the right time, yeah.
0: So what happened was Electronics Boutique was probably the stronger of those stores in your local area. Electronics Boutique probably was a little bit more sound and a little bit more established. They were out of King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, of all places. But they were kind of the leader. They were a leader above Funko and above Software, etc. So Software, etc. was declining. And they were on the verge of just basically bankruptcy. They were going to shut down. And so they went into dealings to – Electronics Boutique was going to buy Software, etc. And I think Babbage's was owned by the same parent company. So Electronics Boutique was going to buy all these – And they were up to the eleventh hour, and Electronics Boutique was about to take over. So they were kind of going back and forth. I don't know if it was the SEC or what was happening, but Electronics Boutique is like, screw it. We've got to fill these stores with product because when we acquire them, we're going to want to get this, you know, double the revenue. We want to get so Electronics Boutique cut its own buys in half for its existing stores and bought games for the stores that they're going to own in the Mm. matter of days. They wound up sending tons of product to software, et cetera, and Babbage's. And this is all re- – This is I lived inside the store, and I got this story confirmed by Dighton Distribution, which used to be the, the shipping company for them. So Electronics Boutique bought money for – or sorry, bought games for these stores. Then at the at 11th hour, the second-in-command found capital to buy – a majority share in software, etc., and essentially said, nope, the company's not for sale. Uh, We are going to take it in. So Electronics Boutique had halved its inventory, sent half of the rest of its inventory to another set of stores, who basically said, okay, we're going to return those shipments, but essentially sold the product and eventually came to a settlement in the end. So Electronics Boutique then wound up getting... Put under Software etc umbrella, they were number one. Electronics Boutique was number one, and then that crushed them. So horrible insider story there. But uh, I was working at Babbage's when or, when a Hollywood Video came in, and I said, "That's it." You know, after working for this crazy show, any company that's got their stuff together, Hollywood Video was growing stores. I I loved renting videos there. You know, mm-hmm. they had twenty. They were building a store a day. So I'm like, "That's it." Games industry is changing. Hollywood Video is going to own it, so I came in there, and Hollywood Video was headhunting people from, from these other companies. So I said, "Screw it! I'm leaving software development. I'm leaving this retail. I'm going to go do this game crazy thing." And I went in there, and that was they were hiring the biggest, cra- the craziest people from Funco, the craziest people from they just they were looking for bodies. So when I came in, I was. I had a very solid understanding of the games industry. I know from the software side what you need to do. You need to turn product that's going to sell. you got to educate your consumer. So I was immediately kind of moved up from the the store level to uh, putting pallets together for the new store. So when I came in, they had three stores, and my job was to build the game, what they're called distros, for 12 stores. So I had to put all of the games that those 12 stores are selling I was gonna put. I was building those out. So that was in February of '99.
1: That sounds right.
0: So February '99, I'm responsible. So the f- and so what was great about it is because I was putting games in there that I'm like, I know we should be able to sell them, and that's the games that you'd expect, right? You'd get the Namco collections, you'd get the, um, you, oh, sorry, what, what was big around that time? Well, of course, you'd get Game Day and all that stuff, but. We were getting games that we knew we could sell. Right. And I was Anthony, you remember those? We were this is back and they were faxing, I think, orders back and forth. Oh
1: god, I forgot about it that. I hated that. So right I be- hated doing those inventory sheets. So here's the deal. Actually, right before- I hated all of my job except talking <laughs> games.
0: <laughs> and that's what I was that's what the stores were for. The stores stores were to talk games. We're saying we're going to buy these games and you're going to sell these games. That was the whole idea behind it. But um, when I came in, they had just these crazy people buying games. And they wound up buying, I think, 260 or like 320 irritating sticks. That was the name of the game. Irritating stick. It was an awful game. So what would happen is if someone didn't do their job right, I would send them out the number of irritating sticks to the number that they had pissed me off. So if someone had done something completely wrong, I'm like, you're getting four irritating sticks, and they're going to sit in your inventory until you sell them, until you learn how to do your job right. So I was king of the castle. I was feeling great. We built up 72 stores. I'm giving them the games that I think they should sell. And uh, then Hollywood people start realizing, like the, the executives of Hollywood said, oh, now I want a piece of this. So they started putting in people who are on the video side that either they didn't, Know how to handle, or basically, who just ran roughshod over everybody. They moved them into Game Crazy, and that was kind of the end for me because those people had their own agenda and they had history with Hollywood Video and corporate experience, and uh, they just ran me over. So here's here's the here's a great story from the start of a Hollywood Video. So when I went there, the Dreamcast hadn't come out yet, but Hollywood Video was dealing with Sega in the launch or getting the rollout of the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. So do you remember that the Dreamcast was available for rental You're prior the, to oh. launch? Yes. Yep. So Hollywood Video was their partner across the country. 200, 200 wait, sorry, 2,500 stores were given Dreamcasts to rent. So at, on six fifteen of 99, we did the rollout for rental. And it was two controllers. It was the system. It was a pretty – you remember this, Anthony. Big briefcases. Yes. $300 deposits. Mm -hmm. uh, And you'd get Sonic, I think, was the only – maybe Wacky Racers or something. I can't remember. Sonic was the big one. And uh, we had a huge rollout. It was great. It was fantastic. And I was super happy because I had come in.
1: That's when it was good to be at the company. It was awesome. I, I came in that summer.
0: Yeah, because I kinda think I've kind of twisted your arm. I'm like, you got to come over here because we're, we're in control. We're doing it all. So we did this Dreamcast launch early and it rented, you know, we didn't really do too much promotion on it. And what was hilarious is at the same time, Game Crazy stores are starting to take pre-orders. People are renting them, coming back to Game Crazy and getting the pre-orders in and I had a, my old store, which Anthony, you were in at the time,
1: right? Riley had, Hills, a flagship store here. We were selling more
0: Dreamcast. We we had more pre-orders for Dreamcast than any other five stores. We were just huge on it, and uh, we had NFL two K showing on a loop. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Then um, something I was unaware of until I became much older is that corporations are not filled with the nicest of people. No. Oh. And um, Hollywood Video claimed that Sega did not meet their end of the bargain. And we refused to pay Sega of America $6 million. Wow. And that was the beginning. And of course, at this time, who was the. uh, You met him, Anthony. Stepped down. Uh, I can't think of his name right now.
1: Uh, Are we name drop or is it start with an S?
0: No, 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 no. no. I'm talking at Sega. Sega's. Uh, was Tom, Tom oh, Bernie, no, Bernie Stoller. No, no, Bernie Stolar, Bernie Stolar Stoler, stepped Stoler, down in right. August right. right before the launch of the Dreamcast and be, I mean seriously they, they lost six million dollars in revenue because Hollywood didn't pay well here's the thing we that started a huge massive lawsuit where Sega's like you owe us that money we gave you these consoles and essentially we stole them and it wasn't me it was executives I had written checks and POs and all that stuff but they weren't stolen saying.
1: for sake of conversation in terms of using that term for the company itself, not like someone broke in. And, but no, right, they, it was not pay- Right. Lack of payment, so in that sense, it was stolen.
0: Right. And uh, so Sega started off in a $6 million hole prior to even getting to retail. Mm. So now we had done our job at retail to, to pre order. And I think there were several hundred game consoles that we had pre-ordered. And guess what Sega was not going to do because we weren't paying them? Right. They didn't send us any. So we had to run out to every store from Fred Meyer to...
3: Oh, So that
1: makes sense. That's why you were scrambling around trying to go to all the stores to get the Dreamcast. Right. To meet customer demand?
0: That is correct.
1: So what were you, cutting large company checks and things of that nature to... to
0: They gave me a credit card with a crazy amount on it and I just went out and bought several hundred dreamcasts wow. from every store Wow yeah so those are the things you don't you, know, you never hear of but I was that was that was my introduction so after that a bunch of the people that I used to work with one went to Sega to work uh, believe it or not after that cluster cluster if you went to Sega but um, I went to that I was working in game crazy and here's here's what's um, I'm I'm just giving you a litany of stories. Is there any questions you have cuz I can keep going. No, I was going to ask you because like it's interesting because like thinking about
2: me over my life. So I one of my one of my close friends um I met because he worked at a local game store and I know you and I feel like I know like oh and I do a podcast with somebody else who used to own his own game store and so like I feel like I've known like a lot of people who you know have worked in game retail, and I mean like just just overall like because I, I think like when you're when you're a gamer, I feel like there's two dream jobs for you there's either like doing what I do or doing what you guys did and so on your side, like as somebody who liked video games, you know like what did you think of that job overall? I mean, putting aside the kind of craziness of the 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 corporate stuff like
0: was that a game? Was that a job that you really enjoyed like being in? The early days of Game Crazy were some of the best working days of my life because everything we did was to get the best games into people's hands as possible. Babbage's stunk, Babbage's was awful because, and that's GameStop, and EB was equally awful. I'd say EB was much better than Babbage's in what respect. Uh, by the way they were run oh okay the way those stores were run is okay. by you know you'd have a district manager who would dictate here's what you need to do here's yeah what you no need no, to no argument that,
1: yeah some of the okay yeah yeah so there were some good staff members i think that's where i got to, there were some good people we crossed paths with
0: oh yeah oh yeah but no, not, no no yeah, no. i'm not yeah, gonna say yeah, the people yeah, are bad yeah, i'm just yeah. saying that the, the the situation we were in was was not the the best from a from a game spills perspective perspective i want to sell somebody the best game possible right right that game sometimes will be diddy kong racing that right. game sometimes will be goldeneye right you got to figure out who you're talking to and it really was a great way to interact with individuals and share the love of this pastime which is fantastic you're right, right. Shidoshi, you're right the best jobs would be either to write about it or to share it with others and that's what this industry is about i think and that's what draws me to it is that i I believe, and it's Plato who said this, and I've been saying it for years. I've been stealing his quote for years, is that you can learn more about somebody during an hour of play than you can in a lifetime of conversation. And you can tell what kind of person somebody is very quickly by the way they play. And, mm-hmm. and so being able to interact with people, share with people, get experiences out there. So Babbage's was very tough, but coming into Game Crazy where we could build our own... Destiny, Build Our Own Future was phenomenal. We were there at the start of the Dreamcast. We were there even before the start of the Dreamcast. We were meeting with companies and talking about what products. I was buying games that I would I would believe... I would, I bought more Oomjammer um, Jammer Lammies and Lunar Civil Star Store. Like I bought all of these great games that I knew were going to get into people's hands, and that was exciting. But what happened, what wound up happening is when Hollywood Video came in, they said, well... If we bring in more games, we can sell more of them, and then make more money. And the whole idea was like, you want to target what you're buying because you don't want to go roughshod and buy whatever. And what happened is, Hollywood Video wound up turning into Babbage's and Game Craze, or Babbage's and uh, GameStop.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe like Babbage's and GameStop Lite.
0: So they just basically bought everything, whether it be you know BMX, X or whatever the heck it is, they were oh buying my it. God. They were buying anything and everything. And here's the problem: when you would push back, the way district managers and regional managers would work is they are they are trying to make the stores. Uh, they're trying to be friends to the stores. Like if the store, the stores need to generate revenue and if they're not given, given the tools to generate revenue, then how could we expect them to do their job? So a, a store would say, you know, we didn't get enough copies of Tomb Raider, The Last <laughs> Revelation. And I'm like, we're sitting on 96 copies in the warehouse. They're like, well, you need to buy more and send more to every store. It wasn't about – it was just – it, was, it made it crazy. So I wound up buying, I think, two pallets of Resident Evil 2 on Nintendo 64. Because mm. I couldn't... And you know how many we sold? Six, probably. <laughs> I, and And that's what it turned out to. People were buying... This is the thing. Superman 64 is a pretty bad game. Made even worse... When there's several thousand in retail, that game should not allowed to be in retail. It should be seen and been like, no, we're not going to buy, you know, six deep per store because it's Superman.
2: Okay, so then what? Yeah, what I mean. So what is the reasoning then for somebody making those kind of decisions to buy those gigantic of lots of games that people are saying aren't going to sell that many copies? It
0: comes down to it, it. That's something that I learned the hard way when I came in and I was running it. It was 72 stores. I could manage it with a small crew. That was great. But once it started expanding, you started buying games by council. And when you start buying games by council, you have 12 to 20 people in a room talking about, here's where we see this, here's where you see that. Basically, uh, creating your own... Uh, I can't even, what... Parliament of what games are going to be purchased. But you have, just like in politics, you have... The people who are going out there to uh, imbibe or to... What are they called? Uh, oh, my gosh. In politics, the people that come out... The, oh, shoot. I wish you would edit this. No, we be. know editing on this show. Ah, uh, they're called... called—they're uh, fi- The people that come in and deal with politicians and... Oh, shoot. Lobbyists? Lobbyists. Lobbyist. God bless you. Yes. So game companies would have lobbyists come out. And you've been to E3. You know how much alcohol is flowing. You know how many backdoor deals are being made. People, these game lobbyists, which are distributors, would come out and say, hey, I know this game's shit. And this is their words, not mine, so I can swear here. (laughs) I know this game is shit, but you got to buy this, and I can guarantee you more copies. Like if you buy this piece of crap Konami game, like Gallup Ra- Gallop Racer wasn't Konami, that was Tecmo. But if you could buy this piece of crap game, I can guarantee you X number more on Metal Gear. I'll I'll basically. Oh. So that's kind of how that was working. Whereas you're, you're buying for future titles, and then of course buyers that I worked with were stealing uh, were stealing copies, <laughs> were getting motorcycles given to them. Uh, were getting game rooms built in their house, We're getting movie theaters built in their house. Why didn't you hook
1: me up with that?
0: Because I was unfortunately above board. I had no idea. I'm just trying to do the right thing. So in all of this, I said, uh, I realized pretty swiftly that this was not the world for me. I got very... I said, that's it. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to leave. And so I got offered a... Potential gig with Future Publishing to take over for Chris Charla when he left Next Generation Magazine as the editor in chief. I went down there and interviewed, and again, these are very—I'm going to be very candid here. I hope again that I don't want to keep you from getting to Target, but when I went in at Future, I'm like, all right, this is my lifeboat. Right, I, I just lived in this terrible situation where I, I got my dreams shattered. Everything I thought about games has been turned on its ear, so I'm going to go into games writing and editing because uh, I was kind of that's part of my history as well as in writing, so I'm like, this would be great. interviewed there they loved me there was I was going to take over for Chris who was going to backbone <laughs> entertainment, who did some things with games <laughs> apparently um, but I went in there and I met with chris's boss and he had me in his room and i Really good conversation. And then he's like, So can you write? He goes, Anybody can write a good review about a good game, but I'm looking for people who can write good reviews about bad games. And I said, Well, that's not what Next Generation's all about, right? Next Generation's all about integrity. He's like, Yeah, no, we're going to need to push more bad games. And I'm like, Holy crap, what's going on? This can't be. Retail just. Got turned on its ear, and then publishing got turned on its ear. So, I uh, they offered me a position, and I realized that it wasn't going to do what I needed it to do. And so I called Chris, and I said, "I can't do it." And then six months later, it was shut down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Next Generation was no more. <laughs> so I wound up uh, grinning and bearing it. A game crazy. And I'm trying to think
2: of like I'm trying to think of, like when when did Next Gen shut down? 2002,
0: I think. Okay, so it was after Game Fan. Okay. <laughs> um, next, Gen Gen Closure. Anyways, I don't know. I'd, so, I so the timeline. I, I I used to use video games as my timeline, but at this that phase gets really screwy in my. But in my history, so here's the deal. I stayed with Game Crazy, and what was really awful is that Game Crazy started off so beautiful. Um, and I'm not sure if you watched The Simpsons, but there's an episode, it's a treehouse of horror, where Mr. Burns makes a robot worker and then unfortunately puts Homer's brain in it. And in the end, all the robot does is eat donuts and sleep <laughs> at a, like a superhuman level. And Mr. Burns' laments, he's like, it, it, it was supposed to be a thing of beauty and not this, you know, conglavorous, what." Con- Cogs and cam shifts. Anyways, he just laments that what it could have been. And game crazy was that game crazy could have been a driving force in getting the right games into the right hands. But I think, I think I was definitely young and impressionable, and had a different idea of like what life is about. I did not know life would beat me down as much as it would as it did. <laughs> so, anyways, game crazy went on to go to seven hundred stores. Uh, what was happening is that Hollywood Video was making a tremendous amount of money in retail by basically... They could have just left the doors open and people would have... They would have made money for years because that's just how much money Hollywood Video is making off of movie rentals. And Game Crazy was not making any money. And the reason why is because they were buying titles at 45 to 50 mm. bucks mm-hmm. and they were sitting until they got depreciated. Now, the... They got co-op money to advertise and do stuff like that. But they were effectively buying so deep on titles that they were just sitting on that they would depreciate. So mm. Game Crazy wasn't making money. And mm-hmm. I, I knew this because I was on the Hollywood Video side after, after leaving Game Crazy. I went to Hollywood Video in 2003. So I worked in their marketing group for Game Crazy and Hollywood Video. So here's the deal. I saw that. Game crazy was getting funded by Hollywood video in the tombs. Like no money was being invested in Hollywood video. All the money was going into game crazy. Game crazy is full of all these young kids who are saying like, well, this is the greatest job ever. I get to buy whatever games I want and they go in the store and I get to play games. That's the mentality there. Be- they were just a bunch of kids. And I, I can't imagine what, how awesome it would have been to work at that without any conscience of how much money was being dumped. <laughs> uh, and not being made back. So, Game Crazy wasn't generating revenue, and Hollywood Video was funding it for years. And so, it was like a bucket that had no bottom. So, Hollywood Video just kept dumping money into it, and Game Crazy is like, Yay, games! You know, so in the end, uh, Game Crazy actually started reducing the amount of money or uh, reducing the amount of games just because there wasn't enough money, because Hollywood Video is shrinking. There wasn't enough money. So Holly, Game Crazy wound up at one point in 2006 actually generating some profit after, you know, sucking money out of the company for three years. And so people were like, Game Crazy saving this company. And uh, next, uh, just a few months out, they went, the whole company went up for bankruptcy. So there are people who just love Game Crazy. It gave a ton of people great experiences, you know, it, and I love it for, for what it did. It it was great that people had those experiences, but it could have been a very a, a very strong driving force in changing the idea of games at retail. It, but it just then turned into another retail shop. L- Isn't let me that ask-
2: how everything works though? Like it's, it's unfortunate that a yeah. good
0: idea and then just falls apart somewhere.
1: Yes. Did, from your perspective, uh, Shidoshi, did you enjoy going to Game Crazy?
2: Uh, but see, yeah, that thing is like I, we never had a Game Crazy where I lived. Oh, so I I never could have gone. So we had, um, I mean we had that like software et as we had. I'm trying to think because.
1: So you would? How did you hear of Game Crazy? What was the? How did that? I think make I didn't
2: it? hear about it until. Um, I feel like when I moved out here to LA for Game Fan, that that's when I first saw like a Game Crazy. Mm. But I mean, at that point, like you know, when when you're working at a magazine that it's getting all the games
3: for right. free in the first I mean, place, you know, like, right. like,
2: like what you buy is kind of like weird. But um, so when I moved out here to, to start with game fan, I lived out in a, an area of LA called Thousand Oaks. And if anybody knows what that is, like the thing about LA is it's either you're either in LA or you're in like this God awful, like nowhere suburb kind of LA of LA. And so we were a good drive from LA proper and there was like nothing around us and I had no car. And so there was only, I, the only place I really could go to were a place I could walk to. And there was a Best Buy like a block and a half from my apartment. So anything I didn't get through Game Fan or of course through Game Cave, um, I just bought from Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> Game Cave. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: forgot about Game Cave. Yes. Uh, so, th- so like I said, You always I, in I, California though? You've always been in California?
2: No, 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 no. I mean, I'm from Nebraska. Okay, so I said I was I lived in Nebraska my entire life until 1996. I moved out to LA from 96 to 98 for game fan. I moved back to Nebraska and then I also moved to Osaka for a while and then I came back here to LA in 2008
3: so I said oh, the, the, okay.
2: the first time I moved out here was when I did see a game crazy, but I think I only went to it like once or twice just because, where I lived, there wasn't one, and I said I didn't have a car to go anywhere, and I had mm. not a whole lot of need to go to one. So, back home, you know, my place was typically I think Software Etc. at the point. Um, or because Okay, so I'm trying to think, because did Software Etc. at some point become Babbage's, like name-wise, like store-wise? Yes. Yeah, there's the, yeah, they tried to homogenize the right. stores, yes. and they
0: all eventually became GameStop.
2: Yes, yeah, so the, the store I, I typically went to the store, like for example, where I pre-ordered my PlayStation and picked it up, was Software etc. And then at some point, because I made a friend at a local game shop, I kind of like started going there instead.
1: So now let, let's let's do this as we as we get into the fourth quarter here of this very special DLC pack of the generic video game podcast. And uh, leaving us only moments before that amiibo, that Pac-Man amiibo, no, no, away. It, I've
3: got like it's gonna go away.
1: So, so here, so we've we've talked about the present day. We've talked about X. We've gotten a little bit of background on Neil, everything from the the GameStop Babbage's days to some fun and crazy game crazy stories. So you've been behind the scenes in the industry. You've done the dream game gig selling the games. You've done the corporate position. How about we end on, you've tried all those endeavors and you're like, you know what, I've done it under someone else's guise. Uh, I've done it behind the scenes. Maybe I should just do it myself. And which would be, were you ever crazy enough to do your own game store and do it your way?
0: Yeah, so that was... That's a very suspect time, but yeah, I started, I had my own store, and it was about after I got disillusioned at Game Crazy, and I moved to Hollywood Video, there was a window there where I said, you know, uh, what I'd love to do is just preach the gospel of games, and we were located in Portland, Oregon, and we had this Church of Elvis, and it was a kind of a, I think it was a non-profit kind of group. And the idea was to basically just preach the Church of Elvis. It became a destination here in town where people would come into Portland and they would go to see the Church of Elvis. And it had all these little tchotchkes and these knickknacks and, you know, a wackadoo curator who's talking about Elvis and as a, and it's a gospel. So I mimic that for games. And what I was trying to do is create a museum, an archive of games where you could talk about the history of games because I have a massive – or had a massive collection of games, and it would talk about the history of games, it would educate them, and that was also time when the Unitarian Life Church, or yeah, I think it was Unitarian, was handing out, uh, you know, you could become a ordained minister. So I became an ordained minister with the Unitarian, uh, Unitarian Life Church, and I started a store called Temple of Pong, where all of our games it was basically the idea was to kind of play off the Church of Elvis, be a little bit tongue in cheek and say like you know our games are not guaranteed for ninety days there 's not a try and buy, but they 're blessed for x amount of time. <laughs> if we sell you a game, if we sell you a game that you didn 't come in to buy, we stand by it you know and so it was a whole like religious type kind of kind of tiptoeing around it because it was built right behind Jesuit uh, high school, which is a very Catholic, very heavy, heavily religious school. But temple of pong was it. it was the idea of preaching games as a gospel, like saying games are inherently good, it teaches people about how to you know deal with situations how to interact with others and it was a- it was a great experience and it was great because we were not only um i don't know if any well neither of you have you started up any kind of retail outlets if or done business? i mean i
2: i I have a lot of friends like I have a number of friends right now who 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 have their own game stores I know people who have, but yeah, I've never actually tried it myself.
0: It's a challenge because you, it takes you a while to get up to speed to gain traction. But our store was in a plaza that had a movie theater, a dollar movie theater. It had a pizza store. It had a uh, bowling alley, it had, uh, of course, a school right behind it full of kids, So, and then a hockey rink. So the foot traffic to the location was ridiculous. It was huge. It was just family-centric. So in the Temple of Pong, we actually had... Uh, we sh- we were getting games in from Japan. We had the first GameCube, we had the Panasonic GameCube Q hooked up in there. And we were showing Resident Evil, and we were showing that to, to people who hadn't seen games like this before. And still, I just... Picked up that Resident Evil again on PlayStation. Holy cow, that thing still holds up. It's beautiful. Game's it gorgeous. Uh, but we were showing people games, and, and we wound up turning a profit within. And it, so I went into part. I went into this endeavor with an a college roommate of mine who had also moved out here, and I okay. This is over 10 years, so the statute of limitations is up on this statute. So the, I was not at Game Crazy. I was at Hollywood Video, but I had him run the location. <laughs> and uh, I was making, uh, as I said, he was in charge of managing the day-to-day. I would come in and relieve him and then go back to work. So it was just a – essentially I had two jobs. Hmm. and working to build it up. And what was happening is when we got... When Game Crazy would liquidate their machines, they got rid of their Dreamcast display, that would go into the store, right? We were mm-hmm. basically pilfering the corpse <laughs> as they were oh, they were throwing them uh, absolutely serious. When they mm-hmm. stopped selling the Dreamcast, half that crap went into a dumpster, right? Field yeah. destruct. Yep, yep, yep. How awful is that to see yeah. like one of the greatest consoles a dedicated device or dedicated retail stand with the machine in it. Just like, eh, throw it in dumpster. We don't know what to do with this. Just trash it. There's dreamcast machines on heaps out there because of us. So we would, uh, pick those bones. We had old standees, old signage. I had all my old consoles from the, uh, you know, the original Pong system up through Magnavox, through Atari, just all around the top of the store. It was a phenomenal experience. Uh, but then of course, learned a cardinal rule that you don't go into business with friends. That's nope. always new. <laughs> did not know that at the time. Cause again, I still th- saw the world was sunshine and lollipops. Uh, yeah. So I was unaware that a friend, um, did not know, uh, business extremely a- as well as I had hoped. And so, uh, wound up, uh, creating you know when you're a new business you generally don't turn a profit for and this is why i asked if anybody had retail because you usually don't turn a profit for 18 months to three years whatever that's usually how it works he was pulling a pretty significant salary um for himself and then he was also buying you know machines like the xbox for i believe he was buying them for two how much was the xbox when it came out was that 199 or 299
1: I mean, it had to that. be more than a couple hundred bucks. So yeah. two ninety nine, right? Yeah.
0: He was buying them for three forty and selling them for two ninety nine. What? Whoa. Yeah. And uh, again, there was stuff like because I was using my own game collection. People would come in. He wound up selling my square. Uh, I had Final Fantasy three in box with map with the cartridge. It's like everything was in mint condition, right? I came in and he was all excited that he had sold. You know, he's like, I sold a hundred dollars today, and I'm like, what'd you sell? He's like, well, I sold your Final Fantasy 3. I'm like, for how much? He's like, 20 bucks. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> so it was about not having a solid understanding. So in the end, we just had, uh, it, we had different, different ideas. He was trying to, again, it's so bad to see not only corporates change, but to see your friends kind of try to emulate GameStop when mm-hmm. you're an independent store, it's just depressing. So that was a short-lived ordeal. I think it was t- a year or two. I'm not exactly sure. Anthony might know better. But it that, was at that least was,
1: a year, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was a great store. It turned a profit within a few months, uh, but then that profit went enti- into somebody else's pocket, and I lost half my game collection. <laughs> so, yeah, you still live and learn. You live and learn. It's, it's so funny because, like, um,
2: the store that one of my friends owns right now is Game Craze not crazy but game craze and yeah I mean said I I know I know people who like in the last five six years have have started game stores and part of me is like why would you ever do that but like I'll be honest I mean there is a small part of me that would love to do that you know because you always I guess like the thing for me is especially if you go to like a GameStop, like you know you go in there and you're just like you You can tell there's just no love there and mm. and I mean the people working there, I'm not saying that they don't have the love like they they might be genuine real you know gamers, but just overall the kind of corporate culture and 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 how things are run, you can tell there's just there's no love for games, it's a product, you know, especially when like you you see like all the things like okay, let's just gut these games, like the d s cartridges are always just the cartridge itself, and the box has been thrown away and and whatever um See, so there is a part of you, like, if you do love games, there's always a part of you, that, like, man, I would love to have my own game store, you know, and, and open that up. And especially, as I said, thinking back to kind of the game stores that I used to go to when I was when I was younger and the kind of – because I, mean, I grew up – well, I grew up, but <laughs> um, I really remember because I was the, – the point where I was kind of like, you know, on my own as an adult, could buy things, could drive around and stuff – that was really, like, the kind of high point of um, the the local game store. I guess kind of before that, too. Because I remember, like, one of the, the local game stores was big on Nintendo. So I guess it was before that as well. But um, I really remember, like, that, that boom of, like, the local game store, you know. And that's never kind of left me. And I remember the ones that did it well and the ones that really sucked at it. And you're always kind of like, man, I wish I could kind of do that and have – my own store and kind of do it the way I think it should be done. You know, I think there's always that passion inside of you if you care about games at all.
1: Would would you like the unfiltered version of me on this episode of generic video game podcast? (laughs) Sure. I too, all jokes aside, think that I would like to run a store like that or a specialty shop and, and spread the passion of gaming. And then there's that one thing that always stops me. I know what it is. I remember that. Oh, that's right. I would have to deal with customers. I
2: was going to say it's customers. <laughs> I, and I look. I I know. And I know where this is going. And I I'm, And I want to be very careful in what I say on this because I have a lot of love a lot for a lot of, a lot of I people. I rambled for
0: hours without even thinking.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, especially for our listeners who are all fantastic and wonderful people who like video games. <laughs> I've killed uh, half of them. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but there is the kind of, I've, you know, you, you see like ha- me not having worked there, like you guys have a different perspective than I do, oh. but me going into these stores and just kind of seeing you. And I, okay. I don't know. And this is the interesting question. Like, is it the same in these days? Cause these days you have chat rooms, Facebook, Twitter, all these kind of things. But I think before, you know, when the internet wasn't really a thing or it was still a very small thing and you didn't have that ability to reach out and connect with other gamers, um, you know, the the local game store was kind of where you went and just sat there for an hour two hours wanting to talk to people about video games. So I I kind of – even beyond, like, the crappy customer, like no matter what you do, you know, there's going to be that kind of crappy customer level. But I think you also have to have a special kind of patience for all the people who want to come in and just talk about
1: video games to you, I'm assuming. So, so I'm going to give the other half of my of this this pipe dream because another close friend of mine, oh, he was in a mood last year and was dreaming up all this stuff in like a comic shop or a game shop and he's like, you know, we should do X, Y, and Z. And I was honest and I brought up the whole people thing and that, you know, the, the the unfortunate aspect. And it's not that I dislike all people uh, or, you know, or an over- overwhelming majority. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, but I said for real, I said, look, I said the best thing I could see doing at this point in my life at this age, uh, you know, with this type of endeavor is it would have to be like, like a, a play along, like across the street, there's some nice office space. It's a nice area, Right. Maybe rent out a spot that's not too big or, you know, unnecessary and maybe do like an NCSX, which would be like – which would be a ton of work because you'd have to have the right, you know, marketing, you know, the right – to get people to go to the site, you know, maybe express your passion and love for the hobby through the specialty nature of it through the shop and then do you you know and then maybe report their day-to-day with a couple people you trust or other workers and then get, you know, get a good system or game plan down. And then the other caveat was maybe, you know, this would be crazy, maybe select people or hardcore that you already know or through like a trust system they could come in and buy but it's not like uh, it's primarily online and uh, uh, you know website run with like maybe an exclusive club around town of people that can go to but not like everyone like from gamestop and does that make sense like it would have to be like an ncsx
0: so to go back to your ridge racer conversation you uh, – and it was before that actually. You said, do you think you can make a racing game that's simple? I would ask the question, do you think there's a place for video game stores like the old mom-and-pop video game stores? I, I think I, 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 I do and let me answer that
2: but let me also say before that I get to that because um, that's going to be a big answer. And you guys are going to laugh at me for this but the thing – so – I was back playing style savvy and this is a game about customers coming into your store and you're trying to find them the perfect outfits. Right. And I'm playing this game and I'm like, Oh my God, customer service is the most fun and amazing thing in the entire world. Like I want to do this with a job, you know? So I'm playing like style savvy thinking like, man, I want my own store cause I want to be able to do this thing. And, and obviously it's not how it really works in real life, but like that's what got me into kind of thinking I wanted to have a store. But so to answer your question, you know it's kind of like magazines I think and I think it's very easy to say there's no place for magazines anymore but I don't think that's the case and I think part of the reason why I still have such a passion for a game store is because I on a regular basis go to Japan and you go over there and you see their game stores like their retro game stores and stuff and they're just the the most awesome things in the entire world and like I said you can feel that passion and you have you know, like I go to like a game store right now, right? In back if I go back home, which I, I did, I went to one recently when I went back home, and you know, you go to like the Sega CD section, and maybe there's, like six games there, you know, and it, it they're mm. all like kind of crappy stuff, or there's like just a, a like one tiny little shelf of of Saturn games like broken cases and stuff. But you go to a game store in like Japan, and they. And, like, their Saturn section is gigantic, you know. Their their PlayStation 1 section is gigantic. Their Super Famicom section is gigantic. And and I think, like, the thing I love about game stores, and I think the thing that I they can offer beyond a Target, a Walmart, uh, a Best Buy, even a, a GameStop, is you go into all those stores, and you really know exactly what you're going to find. Like, there's no kind of searching and finding things you wouldn't expect. And I'm going to make a really weird comparison here, and you guys might not understand this, but it, it's it's really interesting is that women's clothing, right? Like you go to a store for, for looking for women's clothing and you never really know what you're going to find there. And so part of the fun is kind of being in there and seeing what is there at any certain point and what might catch your eye. Um, I think guys don't have that in their life in a lot of ways. Like, you know, when, when you go out for, to buy clothing, you're not like, oh, this is going to be really exciting. Like what shirts am I going to find today? You know, what jeans, you know, you know exactly what jeans you're going to find. You know exactly what shirts you're going to find. You know, there's, there's not a lot of things I think guys have that they can go out shopping for. That really gets them that excitement of finding, of just being able to look and browse at things and 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 finding things they didn't expect to be, find there. And so I think <laughs> tying this all around, like I think for guys, like I think that and 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 to be clear, female gamers as well. But I think says that female gamers have this option for different kind of shopping experiences. But I I think that gaming stores are one of the kind of places where you can have that kind of discovery you know when i think about my favorite um times looking for music or looking for movies it wasn't just going to best buy and picking up the new release it was going to like these these you know old retro stores and like some some weird places basement that you go down into you know on on wooden rickety stairs and they have just like like drawer after drawer after drawer of 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 cds or or lps or whatever like i I miss that and i want that in like a game store i love that kind of aspect of going in and being like wow there's like so many master system cartridges here and so many nes cartridges here and i think even at a certain point like you know i'm sure all three of us We've seen so many games over our lives that we. They're still kind of like we know what the possibilities are there, but there's still right. that kind of excitement of, man, I wonder what Super Nintendo games they have, I wonder what Game Gear games they have, you know, and and when you have a store that really has that variety and really has that selection, that that kind of almost like childlike wonder. Like I remember one of the things I in recent memory that made me kind of feel young again the most. And it's one of the reasons why I love DS so much is I would go to a store and look at their DS selection and I would find games I had never heard about. Mm. And that's even with me working in this industry, you know, and I was like working at play at the time, even in that position and knowing a lot of these crazy little games, these niche titles, you know, Japanese imports, whatever, there were still so many times I could go to like a Kmart or, or Best Buy or whatever and be like, I've never heard of this game before. And like, that was really exciting. And so I kind of think that any store that can kind of bring that wonder back to you and that excitement of looking through stuff, like, that's where I think a, a, a local game store can still have a place and still be something that people can get excited for again.
1: I have to ask you this real quick. Do do you ever watch uh, Game Chasers on YouTube?
2: I think – I'm trying to think because I saw one of those kind of things recently. Some of the guys – It was like four guys – they right. went to a certain place and we're looking through a bunch of tubs of stuff. Right. So I've seen stuff like that.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's just it's it's kind of a little bit similar to what you're to what you're talking about.
3: But, but I mean, I mean,
2: but, think, think about like real quick. Think about like if you go to like a flea market or go to a garage sale or something. Right. Sometimes, like when you find games at those places, sometimes those are like the most enjoyable kind of experiences of finding games you can have because those are moments when you have absolutely no idea what's going to be in that stack.
1: Do you know why I don't do that as much as I used to?
0: People. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Someone that knows me oh so well.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say touching something that somebody else has thrown into a bin. I would say that uh, when I used to go out to pawn shops out here, and I saw one of the biggest pieces of Wonderwood, I'd come, uh, this was back when I was in the PS1, I'd find Atari cartridges. And atari cartridges the 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 story that you told right there where I found cartridges that i I thought I knew the atari twenty six hundred mm-hmm. I thought I knew it really well uh but you'd find cartridges that you had never seen before and you the, the it's just this black piece of plastic and you're like what the heck is on this the cover art is this, and I've never seen this <laughs> so the whole idea of wonder is is one thing but if I were to go into a store here and find like you know you go into I know what to expect I'm gonna see eight hundred you know, Mario games and I'm going to see Duck Hunt because that's what kids trade in or whatever. But if I went into a store and I saw like five Professor Laytons and then Infinite Space and then like these... If I saw something that would gain like that sense of wonder, that would be exceptional. But for the most part, all of the game trader stores here in the U.S., whether it be GameStar or GameTag or whatever the heck you're calling it, they're all kind of emulating the game crazy store of the past where they have an X amount of backlog of games. I've never seen a game store out here that has Atari 2600 cartridges or Intellivision cards or, or any of those things. I've seen, someone says, Hey, I developed uh, probably one of the best public restrooms you've ever seen. I'm like, why would I want to go to a public restroom? I know what a freaking public restroom looks like. And there's no way you're going to improve on No, no, dude. This one has X, Y, Z. I'm like, I know what a public restroom looks like. It's a crappy place where I only have to go when I need to go there. And that is what GameStop is to me. It's a public yep. restroom. Yep.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> the perfect analogy.
1: Well, do you, uh, do you have any... Uh- Closing words, or uh, just uh, everyone to find you on the Twitters, or what?
0: Yeah, I do have one thing. Um, I need a kidney. Actually, two. <laughs> oh. Uh, going back to me being nice to people, I figured that I would get one of them back, but it never did. So <laughs> I really need help. But uh, outside of that, uh, if I'm not exactly sure what the turn time is for these podcasts, you churn these out. Like Ziploc turns good. out baggies. You are on more podcasts than I think there are hours in a day. Yeah. I don't know
3: how
2: you. Well, know. I was just telling. I was just telling Anthony. I actually recorded another podcast. Online. Oh my it's word! It's it's not a not a long one. I'm trying something new, so I I have to actually this. It should it should be up by the time this comes oh out. But I have a new. One I you know if,
1: launch, if you so. don't want to let's see it's we got 11:26 Pacific. I did get a piece of uh, fan mail here following up on gvgp9 but uh, i don't know if you want to i don't know
2: is it i mean this is something that would relate oh, to abso- neil, absolutely like absolutely not him. okay absolutely not <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i feel bad for him like reading it god
0: it's about mushy mushy pork sweets or something <laughs> and being like here's
2: a piece absolutely
1: of fan mail that has something to do with you but uh, it's so it's, be, it's been a potluck evening a smorgasbord
2: okay you know no i'm gonna you know neil i'm gonna put you on the spot i'm gonna put you on Please. the spot are we ever gonna get another podcast
0: Yes, actually you are, and I would love to talk with you both offline about how to do this, because uh, I am taking a bunch of elements of my life, Uh, I was looking to put together either a short little series of video vignettes, followed up by a podcast, but I would love to, you know, I would say that Shidoshi, you've done a phenomenal job in this medium, uh, by making yourself available by the the production levels. But why would I expect anything less from somebody who used to be the curator of the Torium's fan club? <laughs> <laughs> I will never forgive you for that. I always felt like I had a special, like, I, you know, I've done some other things outside of games, but you always seem to not only have done the same thing, but I know it's amazing. had, like, whipped cream with cherries and then diamonds on the top. Like, you always are doing far, far more. You're like a... Neil's like, yeah, Neil's like, the one that I always have above Shidoshi is that I, I, I had all this Tori <laughs> emo stuff. And then I just come in and be like, ah, oh, I did this and this. And Unbelievable. This. Like, listen back to old podcasts. It, it, the podcast still exists, but I would love to probably, and it might be through email or it might be through another conversation, but talk to you about formulating what I'm trying to do. Because the idea is to talk about uh, what it's like to be like, I've done a ton of things from everything from development to retail to, you know, the, the media side, there's been so many different angles that I've covered in this. And one of them is that I'm getting older. And one of the things that I'm doing is I'm aging. I don't know if you do the same, but uh, I, I just hit a really big birthday this year. So it's kind of scary. Yeah. You're sweet 16. I, you know, it can be. Thank you. I need it. So, the, I got my thing, car. <laughs> I for the car. Oh my gosh, that is wonderful. Yeah. So, as I get older, the one thing that I'm trying to get back to in Drive Club is I know you think I went bananas on it, but and to a lesser extent, I went bananas on Red Dead Redemption, and but I I I, I now have purchased two copies of that. I have not.
2: Oh my gosh! So.
0: Red Dead Redemption or Drive uh, yeah. Club? Yeah. No, Dread Dead Redemption. That game is phenomenal. Um, But I want to kind of, where I am as an aging gamer, kind of talk about that and bring that to the community of saying, as I game and get older, this is what's important. These are the things that are important. Uh, for me, and it's to enjoy games, and I'm trying to stay. It's about the, the, talking about trying to stay above it all, trying to find communities and people.
1: So now, is this for a podcasting endeavor? Leading, yeah,
0: there? this is something that Heather and I have been bouncing back and forth because one of the things since the podcast had went on, it's not remission.
1: What uh, is it? Hiatus for the past. Hiatus. Seventeen months.
0: Yes, you get, usually get terminal diseases go on remission. We're on hiatus. <laughs> So, but she said after that, it's been a very big, there's an open expanse. Like Indie X is great, but it's, it's really kind of dealing on the business side. It's not dealing on the love of the craft or the love of the, the pastime. So it's one of those things we've been talking about and bouncing back and forth, but she's not a gamer, so she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's like, she loves Baku Baku animals on the Saturn. That's like her big thing. But, like, she doesn't know. So I would love to talk with you about the plans, what we've already hammered out, to see if it's just like we talked about. Is it a viable thing? Or is this just something for me to do just to get out there? And is that good enough if I just do it for myself? Is that fine?
2: Well, I mean, like, I, you know, because I mean, like...
1: Well, I'm under exclusive contract I, I, with the Morning Project. I get paid quite well.
2: Uh, I wait a minute. There's,
1: there's, that's not, that's
2: not, well, you have like near, like Well, perception is reality. No, I mean, like, I'm
1: getting six figures.
2: Oh my gosh, that's awesome! <laughs> I'm getting five. Wait a minute, um, but no, like, like I really miss like the the Good Game podcast. You know, I mean, because I really, because I think that my thing about podcasts is, and I, for example, there's another podcast I love. That I now don't love so much because they brought in a new member and I don't think the the kind of what am I tr- you know like the kind of um chemistry between the three members works as well as it did between the two and I think that that you and Anthony really had great chemistry when you were doing that podcast and and that was a lot of fun and so I you know as much as I love doing podcasts I also love listening to them and so I really miss that podcast oh that's
0: fantastic I'm so sorry to hear that we've like have not kept it up but that's that's really good to hear because I you know we heard from a selection of very very passionate wonderful fans we loved those we had a dozen people that would write us on a regular basis and they it was good to hear from them but it's always good to hear that there's other people out there who listen to it. I know there were, I saw the stats, but again, it's just one of those things. It's good. To, it's good to know that people actually enjoy it. <laughs> and it wasn't like some kind yeah. of baton death podcast they had to listen to. So. And, and I mean, I know
2: there's like tons and tons of podcasts, but the question is like, okay, why do I do this? Well, you know, I, it's, it's, I mean, that's, but couldn't you ask about anything, right? Like, why do you do anything? You know, like, why am I going to open a new restaurant when there's already like 800 taco restaurants on my street, you know? Well, because I think I can bring something to tacos that nobody else is bringing in this certain area. Like, I think that's how you just kind of go into it and you just kind of do the best job. And not the best job. I think you just, just bring as much of your personal passion and sincerity to it as you can. And I think if you do that,
0: then it is interesting, hopefully. So I would love to leave with this. Because you you have a very strong, solid base, and I would love to leverage them to help me. Because we are, with all the things we've got going on, one of the initiatives is always to kind of do more with games. And that's what we'd love to do. And we've skirted about it here and there. And eventually we'll generate a ton of money with any one of these properties we're doing. But for right now, Bauer Graphics is in. Can I share this, Anthony? Did you see this today?
1: Uh, what's that?
0: Oh, my God. Are you gone? He no, left. I'm here. Bauer Graphics is in the running for a grant to kind of grow our business, and it's hmm. for it's a sizable amount. And so we, um, this is going to be awful, and I hope I can do it. And if you don't feel comfortable, please don't. But uh, if you go to BauerGraphics.com or the Twitter account or Double Plus Goods Twitter account or whatever, there's click on the link to vote for us in the Mission Street grant program and there's a chance that we could get up to well it's not up to it is actually a hundred thousand dollars to grow a part of our business which would be a lot of gaming related that
1: that covers my cost
0: that would cover salaries for people isn't that nice right you can't be back for one episode of double plus good games (laughs) not even a partial episode with his yeah his head's so big, and his profits like he's talking six figures. Like maybe get fifteen minutes, but no. If they would, if your fans would be willing to vote, go, head over to any of the Twitter feeds that are listed there. It's Mission Street Grants. Vote for Bauer Graphics, and if we get uh, if we get the grant, then that's all going towards games related kind of activities. So,
1: so ladies, so ladies and gentlemen, as we close out another phenomenal unforgettable episode the dlc pack number two the generic video game podcast only you special season past holders will get to hear this for those who have subscribed on itunes check this out at radio.morningproject.com it's been another cavalcade of excitement with the nation's number one socialite shidoshi the legacy podcaster the one the only neil bauer as we wind down and before you uh step away and pop the earbuds out get ready to hit that power we want you to remember one more thing before before you put your ear to pillow because that's where about i'm about to head momentarily before i pass out Fans, loyal fans who've stayed in there this whole trek approaching two and a half hours. Don't forget. Vote for Bauer Graphics Incorporated before June 19th to help them receive a $100,000 grant from Chase. That's at the corner of Main Street at Grants. Not the corner of Jabroni Drive and Know Your Old Boulevard. Go to Mission Main Street Grants dot com to vote. That's all one word, just like it sounds. At MissionMainStreetGrants.com. dot and so don't forget to do that. Don't be a Rudy Poo, and click it up on the internet. Vote Bauer Graphics. It's well worth it. Gets us more gaming endeavors, more gaming stories for the hardcore. And for those who are passionate and just love it all, all for the sake of gaming, don't forget, at the corner of Main Street and Grants, MissionMainStreetGrants.com, vote Bauer Graphics before 619, which is the tail end of the E3 Expo 2015.
0: That's right. We'll know, hopefully, at the show if we're in the running. So.
1: So that will be good. So until next time, we'll be coming up on GVGP10 probably in another two to three weeks, uh, maybe a little bit later. We'll have a lot to talk about post-E3. Yeah,
2: because yeah, cause, uh, E3 is going to get in the way this year. So yeah, yeah,
1: so it uh, gives uh, Shidoshi some, cha- some time to recharge the batteries. I will never drink another Coke Zero during recording again. I promise <laughs> you that, so help me God. It's going to be 100% H2O, never again that fake sugar that's rotting my brain more than gaming itself. The Aspartame rotting my bones and body and uh, giving me an unwanted lisp this evening on GBGP. So as we wind out here at the 150-minute mark, we want to thank listeners, and we'll catch you soon again.